Welcome to the Arts Union Science Journal. Please enter your password. Dear reviewers of the Arts Union Science Journal, welcome back to the journal that intends to analyze movies the way others analyze science. Today, we humbly present episode five, titled Synchronization of Audio and Electromagnetic Waves in Baby Driver, colon, Rope of Sand, for your consideration. My name is Tyler D.R. Vance. I am your corresponding author. And this week, we are joined by our first author, Brett Kinrad. Wow, you didn't give me the middle abbreviation. Well, I didn't know. Was it what was it? Would you like the middle abbreviation? What is your middle well, name? It, well, it sounds pretty official. Yeah. Well, what was your middle name? It's uh, Lanny, actually. So B L Kinrad. Uh, Lanny, like Danny, Ooh. but Lanny. Ooh. So you're like you're just like our old supervisor with that middle L. Exactly. Oh, uh, nothing beats PLD. Nothing beats PLD. Um. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I've got a dog running around, like it's touching my laptop, you know, like uh, nothing stressful going on there. Um, no, I'm good. We just, uh, I just finished driving all morning just to kind of get into, dig into the psyche of baby a little bit, you know, just to mentally prepare for this. And I'm doing well. I got my beer in my hand. So life can't get any better than this. No, that's the way to go. Um so music here we usually like to tell our like uh, viewers a little bit about our new first author and what their affiliations with science are. So you have a uh, bachelor's of science from Queen's University with a distinction of that you did a co-op program like through yes. biochemistry. Um, then you went on to get your master's of biochemistry at Queen's University once again with the distinction that you did an advanced stream. They call it they, I mean technically it's advanced they like their terminology they, they like to call it a combined program oh a combined program um with the the idea that they don't want to call it accelerator or anything to make the precedent that oh you'll finish you'll you're guaranteed to finish early because right. sometimes it doesn't happen you know yeah oh yeah the combined program nice and it was during those those fateful days in your combined program where you <laughs> and i met in a, as like a fast friendship was formed <laughs> The fastest, it, you the know, fa- like a couple weeks in and you're hitting the grad club. Uh, I was doing experiments for you. I mean, like we just had a had a budding partnership going. Exactly. Because you and I are a team. Nothing is more important than our friendship. Nothing in, is. Mike Wazowski, thank you. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh-huh. if those are your affiliations with science, um, that's a great thing. But actually, this podcast isn't about science, really. It's about movies. Um, so tell us a little bit about your affiliations to movies, as in if you were to write a CV for someone saying why you deserve to be on this podcast and talk about I was like a movie for somewhere between two and three hours, God willing. Um, <laughs> and was like, what would you tell that person? What would you say your affiliations to the medium of film are? Well, I would say... First, I wanted to thank you for bringing me on to this podcast, Arts Union Science. I mean, we, we are so excited to, to submit this episode for your consideration. And no. I, I just got to say, like, I have no business being on your podcast. <laughs> like, I, I, when, my, my, my movie watching experience, you know, when I, when I watch movies, I typically turn my brain off. I will just sit there and consume. And I, it's, it's really a good, good moment for me to, you know, take my mind off of things, whether it was lab work earlier on, I'll put on something mindless on Netflix and just kind of power off for the day. And really like my brain does not, I don't really go during movies. Um, 
now, however, that being said, my, I love music. Uh, my, my whole life I, I've played, I started with piano and then I moved on to stringed instruments like violin and guitar and stuff. And we played an orchestra. And as you know, you know, um, you'd come out to some local band shows. Uh, my, local band was good stuff. <laughs> oh, our, our five piece cover band for like 90s alternative rock. You, you can't, you can't beat that. <laughs> nope when I watch movies, a lot of the time I will pay attention to more of the, the soundtracks or at least even just the audio editing in general. And that's, that's what brought me with, you know, Scott Pilgrim and baby driver and even like Hans Zimmer, of course, you know, any of oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. I, I, I will, I will put on film soundtracks just to study to, I mean, half of my master's thesis was listening to Pirates of the Caribbean and even the halo soundtrack. The Halo oh, Reach soundtrack, stuff. I just put that on repeat uh, when I was writing. And so in terms of CV, I would say, you know what? Please hire me. Uh, pretty please. You know, I, I have, it's one of those situations where I have no experience, but you know what? I will, I will get some experience from doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, as it's like, as a, uh, as like as a person who has no sway over employment at all, that sounds great to me. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, you, you want, you want some honest employees, right? At least. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's like, and uh, it's like a couple things. The one is um, if you're going to pick a video game soundtrack to listen to while you are, is like um, taking part in writing a thesis. Um, Halo Reach is probably one of your best ones simply because it is a video game about a group of people trying their best to win an unwinnable war. Um, So and what really could sum up the process of writing a thesis better than that? Um, And then on top of that, it is very appropriate that you would come on to this podcast now as the music expert um, to talk about the movie we'll be talking about today, which has already been name dropped a few times, um, Baby Driver. The 2017 is a movie by Edgar Wright, a uh, like a favorite, is like um, amongst many cinephiles for sure. So last week, uh, well, I guess not last week, last episode, um, this podcast um, we submitted to the Arts Union Science Journal uh, a review article on the Mission Impossible movies, which were kind of like the, what we described as kind of like the modern day action franchise that's into practical effects. Um, yeah. The next episode after this, we will be doing a review article actually on the Bourne trilogy, the Bourne Identity, Supremacy, and Ultimatum, also known for its hard-hitting action. And two that kind of like stay, stand firm as like the franchises that are trying to hold up this kind of like hard-hitting in-camera action. But in between those, we then are going to have this episode on 2017's Baby Driver. And it's hard to think of a modern-day movie that does in-camera action, be it car chases, shootouts, or even foot chases, better than this one. So I'm very happy that you picked it, and I'm very excited to uh, see what we can get out of it, both musically and uh, visually, as we as like move forward. Do you have anything else you'd like to say before we get started on Baby Driver? I'm just really excited to dive into this. And, you know, when I was thinking about movies to choose from, yeah, Baby Driver... I, at first I wanted to do, I was thinking of the, the soundtrack to Reach or, or mm. the whole Halo series and talk about, oh, yeah. about music there. But I think Baby Driver is this is fantastic because it's a fantastic balance of, yeah, being able to see it as this a hard-hitting action movie on one hand, but also just this calm, collected um, guy who 
yeah, just wants to listen to music and kind of tune things out. And I think a lot of us can relate to baby. And that's, that's one reason why I wanted to choose this. And yeah, I just really appreciate you having me on. Oh, of course. Thank you very much for agreeing to say, come on here and chat for God knows how long. It's like, we won't, we won't know until we die. <laughs> um, but with that, I suppose we will actually get started into our manuscript proper. It's like, um, so for those of you who are reviewing an episode for the first time, uh, our analysis usually follows the traditional sections of a scientific paper. And what better way to start than with the introduction? Um, so the introduction is the portion of a paper that's supposed to place your data in context. It provides a brief history of what's been done in the field so far, and then provides kind of your objective lens and subjective lens for where you're hoping you'll go is like afterwards. Um, in our case, we're gonna be talking a little bit about what the movie's about, how we first came to the movie, like, and also what happened when the movie was released and how audiences in general and the critical community responded to it. Here at the Arts Union Science Journal, we are a spoilerific podcast. We spoil things. That's what we do. Um, so to prove that, we're going to start with a couple of paragraphs that completely spoil the entirety of Baby Driver. So if you're one of those people that was just listening through, maybe you like the Mission Impossible movies, and you listen to that three-hour behemoth of an episode, which good on you, and then before you know it, the next episode just popped up, and you're like, sure, I know Baby Driver-ish, it's like, maybe it's like, um, but now you're getting to this point and thinking, oh no, I don't want it to be spoiled for me. You best press pause, go watch the two-hour movie, and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Um, because if you don't, you're going to have to listen to this. The plot readeth thusly. The streets of Atlanta are no longer safe, as incidents of grand theft within the city center have become more and more common. The teams that pull off these heists are always different, with the exception of their beanpole of a driver. He's been called a devil behind the wheel, supersonic, redline, Mozart in a go-kart, but mostly he goes by Baby. Yes, Baby. Spelled B-A-B-Y. Baby. Yep. The name isn't the only thing odd about Baby, though. He doesn't speak much. He seems to carry a never-ending supply of sunglasses, and he is constantly listening to music in an effort to simultaneously drown out his inner ear and his inner demons. Turns out that despite his ridiculous skill as a getaway driver, Baby is unhappy with his lot as a criminal, only intending on sticking in the game long enough to pay off a peevish Kevin Spacey. Once that's done, he plans to get a real job, fall in love with an adorable waitress at a local diner, and perhaps even drive off down some highway with a car he can't afford, a plan he doesn't have, and a bunch of music blaring away. He almost gets his chance at doing just that, but that asshole Kevin drags him back into the game for one last job. That'll make everyone rich. What could go wrong? Well, one shootout with undercover cops, one very angry and very dead Jamie Foxx, and one shootout with out in the open cops later, and baby's life is circling the drain in a hurry. He has the whole city looking for him, plus a deranged John Hamm who is intent on killing baby's girlfriend right in front of him. Tires are squealed, guns are fired, and it's only through the mighty horsepower of friendship and queen that Baby and his romantic accomplice are able to live out the night. Sadly, the long arm of the law catches up with our Bonnie and Clyde stand-ins before they can get away. Guess they'll just have to wait for their chance at the open road for another 25 years or five with good behavior. Fun times, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I, I noticed that you, you really emphasize his name. I mean, Baby. B-A-B-Y, <laughs> right? And yeah. Do you know what his real name is? His real name is Miles. Like, like the way we measure distance. <laughs> it, 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 can't, it can't be much better. His full no. name is Miles Prower. 
You see, why would you want to go with a name like Baby when your name is Miles Prowler? I've been stuck with Tyler Vance for forever. The word, the name Tyler literally means a person who lays tiles. And then people get names <laughs> make things like Miles Prowler and they just like shit all over it and go with Baby instead. Oh, there's no L. It's Prower. So it's like Miles Prower. Oh, oh right? my. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, just that level of detail. No. I love it. <laughs> That's just one thing I love about this. When I found out about that, I, I couldn't stop laughing. Somewhere <laughs> out there, Keegan Turner Wood, our our former first author for the Irish <laughs> episode, who loves puns, is just having a field day. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I want to name my like, like. Imagine naming your kid that. Imagine like even the whole family. That's their last name, Prower. You know? Prower. Yeah, I'm not sure what the the dad or the mom's name is if they gave any names, but I'm very curious. I wonder how you could work in kilometers into see, a, a name. I was just trying to think that too because we here we're we are submitting this as like a manuscript from Canada as like um which like most places outside the United States uses the metric system, mm. and so like kilometers is like or kilometers. It could be like think of like Kim something with like like Kim Para like it's abbreviated. We'll, we'll get Kimberly. back to you on this. Like, yeah. <laughs> Audience, if you guys can think of the best way to, to make kilometers prower into a, a real, a, a better name, please, please let us know. Yeah, uh, you can, you can uh, email us at yeah. the artsunionscience at gmail.com. It's like, besides the moving bond from the plot, um, this movie was released like, um, back in 2017. And it was uh, the first movie by Edgar Wright to really not be a like, straight up comedy. Um, this director as like has uh, he's made like a lot of like really great movies. Um, you'll remember uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. But none of them were really like the big profit making smash that would guarantee him kind of a blank check for future projects. And even his last one before the Scott Pilgrim vs. the World underperformed like really badly into the red. And so it seemed likely that he wasn't going to get his chance to make something like amazing. Um, but then that all changed with Baby Driver. Um, not only was it a hit, uh, like um, making like two hundred twenty-six million dollars um, throughout its theatrical run back in twenty seventeen, um, but it also holds a ninety-two percent on the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes with an N of three hundred eighty-four, plus an eighty-six on Metacritic with an N of around fifty-three, so which indicates universal acclaim amongst the critical community. So. Everyone liked it. It made a ton of money. And it now seems very likely that Edgar Wright has something resembling a blank check for at least another few projects. He can probably get a few more movies made on Hollywood's dime. Um, and hopefully we're going to see some. I think he's supposed to have one that comes out later this year, actually. So hopefully we're mm -hmm. going to see some more Edgar Wright in the, like in the near future. I hope so. I'm a, I'm a forever fan now. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's the objective history of Baby Driver. What is your personal subjective history with this movie? Um, and Edgar Wright in general, I suppose. What, like, how did you come across his movies? And what was your experience like watching Baby Driver for the first time? Yeah. So actually, I, I wanted to get uh, something that you just said uh, just got me thinking. And I think it's really interesting that you said it holds a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes and an 86 yeah. on Metacritic. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because you know at the time like how many you've got fast and furious like you've, you've got all these high action high impact action movies that are going around and it's just amazing that this movie was received so well um 
given the time of its release and it, it just blew me away like i wasn't expecting anything like this movie yeah well i think that's one of the big things right like the fast and furious movies they're fun is like and they're mm. enjoyable it's like and our former first author sean fippen and i are currently in the process of watching through them um <laughs> is like um but is they're not like they don't ride or die on practical effects like a yeah, lot of no. their stuff like a lot of their stuff is practical but then also they have like cars parachuting out of airplanes and shit so like they're not centered in reality in any way shape or form they also don't have that same like attention to detail and rhythm that this movie does so it's like it's definitely within the same wheelhouse but i feel like the people who watch the fast and the furious movies and are kind of like yeah, it's good and all, but like I need something mm-hmm. a little bit more grounded. This is getting ridiculous. This is yeah. where they can go to really and, see car changes like that. And, and it's interesting because you mentioned that with Scott Pilgrim, he was going into the red there. And I mm. think Scott Pilgrim was a very, a very niche film in that it was you know, hardcore music fans and people who. It was almost, I think Edgar Wright really writes films almost for filmmakers and just other people in the arts. Uh, it's like with, with uh, video games and stuff like that and i think with with baby driver he just all of he it, it was widely received in terms of being a uh you know a getaway heist movie but then it had mm. all the perfect tones that that edgar wright uh that makes his film so special right yeah and it was a perfect balance yeah, I think you're you're Hermiston, right? And really, like he is beloved by like a lot of directors. Like when this movie came out, not only were the critical community really a big fan of it, but there was huge like outpourings of support from like Quentin Tarantino, Guillermo right. del Toro, J.J. Abrams, like all these directors that are like really big names. They all love Edgar Wright movies because it's it is really a uh, a masterclass in technique and craft. And I think if you are a director and if you are do make movies, you can't help but watch his movies and be like damn how did he do that (laughs) (laughs) exactly um and so yeah to get into how i came across this movie and edgar wright i mean you know i watched uh hot fuzz and Shaun of the dead way back when i was younger um i I remember watching this you know the zombie movie and i it was again this the the way that he flips flips ideas and I, i just it wasn't anything that i was expecting but then Fast forward to to now, and I see this title called Baby Driver, and it was actually my my roommate's boyfriend who he just came back one day and he was like, "Oh, like, have you? I, I watched this movie called Baby Driver, and I I, I loved it. It was incredible." And then, <laughs> almost just by judging a book by its cover, didn't know who it was by, didn't know uh, what it was about. I was just like. That sounds stupid. Like <laughs> that <it's>, name sounds <laughs> dumb. <laughs> that sounds dumb. I didn't even think of the Simon and Garfunkel song that's named yep. after or anything. I I was like, what is it? Like a kid that like that steals their parents' car and goes on a joyride or something. That <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, this is this is dumb. And um, and yeah, the you know one day the the Netflix algorithm just just brought it up, just served it up on a platter, you know, and. Because I'm not, I've never been into Fast and Furious movies or heist movies in general. Like I, mm. I, I, I'm not a very seasoned driver or anything. Like I can't understand the the crazy stunts that they they pull off. Like I got my license back in Nova Scotia and then went to university. I, I barely drove during that time, and so I've never really been into that. And then yeah, the the Netflix algorithm just puts it up, and I was I was blown away. 
Um, and overall, like, yeah, now that, because in, in my background, now that I've been researching more into recording and writing music and everything, it was just almost like a perfect, uh, it was right, right time, right place movie for me. And that, that's, that's kind of my history with the movie. Yeah. Yeah. As like, um, it was funny because like for me, when I like I first was introduced to Edgar Wright, um, not through like Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, which are probably mm. his more like beloved movies in terms of like uh, what like movie lovers really love those things. Yeah. Um, but my first Edgar Wright movie was actually Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, oh, which I absolutely okay. loved. Um, I watched it on New York New Year's Eve um, with my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, it's like and just like couldn't believe it. It was so good. <laughs> It was just like so kinetic and frantic, and like every scene moved from one to the next to the next with like yeah. a, a, like a sure hand, it was like and a um, a real like obvious that there was somebody behind the wheel, no pun intended. <laughs> um, and so then after that, I watched Hot Fuzz with Daniel mm-hmm. Shep, who was uh, a first author of on this podcast some year, uh, some which feels like years, but some weeks ago. Um, and then I watched Shaun of the Dead and the World's End as part of an Edgar Wright month that I was doing in back in 2017. And it just happened that my Edgar Wright like, month ended when Baby Driver was coming out. So I decided that I was going to go and I was going to watch it at the screening room, the independent theater in Kingston. Uh, like, And afterwards, I then walked back to the Davies Lab, which is the lab we were both in at 10.30 mm-hmm. p.m. They like, set up some like overnight cultures. And was just thinking about the movie the whole time. It was like what I loved, what I absolutely adored, and some things that I didn't love so much. Um, and it was like, but I really left that thing going like, okay, Edgar Wright is here now. He's going to be, <laughs> he's in Hollywood today. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm really excited for what he does next. But I'm also, it's like, I was really excited to get another shot at this and uh, rewatch it on Netflix quite recently. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, you and I, had a very similar watching experience with one, with Edgar Wright movies in terms of me with Baby Driver and you with Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, it's like so it was my understanding that similarly you also watched <laughs> Baby Driver at your girlfriend's place on yep. New Year's New Year's Eve uh, <laughs> some <laughs> was, some months ago. <laughs> yeah, it was the first it was like the first time that I showed up uh at my girlfriend's parents house they they were out of town at the time and i just remember walking in and it was in oakville ontario and i thought i i was just blown away the, the house was probably you know at least a million dollars and like this a very very lavish very very nice place and i can't, i couldn't help but think like is this is this what uh level of lifestyle that my my girlfriend's gonna want when she's older well crap i've got a a graduate degree in biochemistry (laughs) i'm gonna have to step it up a little bit (laughs) looking at the house and looking back at your like academic lifestyle house academic lifestyle house academic like well these two aren't gonna fit (laughs) these these don't work together (laughs) what am i gonna do oh it was so funny yeah, I had a, I had a, it was similar, like, um, like, uh, that was, I think, I don't think it was my first time meeting, um, my, uh, then girlfriend, now wife's parents, mm. but it was like early. And, um, and I was like, and I was the first time seeing their house for sure. It's like, yeah, and they had a very nice house. It was like, it was also in Oakville. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. 
and um because oakville is like is known in the as part of the greater toronto area as like the really swanky location with like a lot of really nice houses mm-hmm. lord knows what those houses are worth now oh man they were like wonderful and it was very nice but i did remember it being very intimidating of it's got pilgrim versus the world was a nice way to like ease out of that and like we were able to just kind of enjoy this ridiculous movie about these young kids that were trying to is like fall in love despite a bunch of random crap which i suppose is actually very similar to the plot of baby driver very so. reminiscent exactly it was i like how you, you phrased that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very it was very calming i was like i am not that i felt exactly like baby or anything but yeah it was like the bit of uh intimidation and kind of just yep. wanting to to escape through through the movie it was great yep yeah yeah. Well, like with our similar subjective histories, at least in Edgar Wright, is like we can yes. then move on from here to the materials and methods, which is everybody's least favorite part of writing a paper. Um, like simply like uh, well, it's actually I would say it's everyone's least favorite part of reading a paper. It's probably yes. pretty easy to write. You remember Peter's rule, like yeah, five hundred words a day for writing a paper. Oh. That was the oh, best yeah. for materials. Oh yeah, you just like you, you could get that done in an hour, and yep. you felt like you did something for the day, right? <laughs> you wandered out <laughs> afterwards, and like with a, it's like your your spine erect, you're a big smile yeah. on your face, like I did science. <laughs> I actually did something. Yeah, I felt and then productive. the next day you sit down to write your results, and like oh Ooh. no, yeah. <laughs> Not so to, to everyone now. reading or listening, yeah, materials methods are pretty dry, but uh, writing them, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Good. Highly recommended. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're listening to this and you don't know what the heck we're talking about, um, the materials and methods portion of a paper is supposed to be a, com- a comprehensive guide to the equipment and methodology used to collect the data um, for your scientific endeavors. Um, in theory, the information given should be detailed enough that you can actually reproduce the results um, by just reading the materials and methods. Um, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be giving you a detailed outline of how we watched Baby Driver in preparation for this podcast. Um, and so hopefully, if you want, you could reproduce our viewing experience and see if you come to the same results. So would you like to give it a give it a go? Sure thing. Yeah. And, and I'll... I'll probably recount some of the details of my first listening experience and mm-hmm. kind of refine it and say how, how you shouldn't watch the movie. And then <laughs> I'll, I'll show you how, how I later wa- uh, watched it and those conditions that led to a better, better uh, viewing and listening experience. Oh, I'm super excited. Let's do yes. this thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I was, again, really nice house everything was uh spick and span and i we were making this really awesome indonesian soup and it had lots of uh veggies and and pork and uh, lots of spices and it was you know lots of turmeric and stuff like that things that can stain the floor and um i remember we were sitting in their living room and i brought the soup over and it was just not ideal at all because I kept looking down at the food and making sure I didn't spill anything on the couch. And I just, you know, that first viewing experience, I didn't catch much of the audio and visual synchronization that I'm going to be talking about. I mean, I, I was too busy looking at the soup. Like I couldn't, I, <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. It was terrible. Like, and so for this movie, uh, I later refined my approach in materials and I, I, I just literally made a sandwich and sat down and watched it so that I didn't have to take my eyes off the screen for very long. And because, you know, in the intro alone, there's there's so many small details that sync these aspects up. And for, for 
for my enjoyment, I had to pay close attention in those first six minutes. And so, yeah, because of that, I barely caught any details the first time. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. And <laughs> the same sentiment goes with you, with what you're drinking too. I mean, I, the first time I can't even pronounce, I can't even remember what I, it was some sort of like, it was some sort of sour beer that just mm. completely consumed my, my taste buds and my senses. And again, you know, I, it was just too much, uh, too much sensory information for my brain. You know, I, I, later in later rewatchings, I was drinking some Keats IPA, any, any plain lagers or anything mm. like that. Um, no? I actually read through some Reddit th- threads and apparently Keats IPA actually isn't an IPA anymore. It hasn't been in a while, which no. I had no idea why, but, um, anything, any plain lagers or something that's not going to detract from your, your visual and, an audio uh, environment, anything like that, it throws in an, another variable into mix. They'll just overwhelm you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, that, it doesn't surprise me that Keats isn't actually really an IPA. It, it's not nearly as hoppy as, um, at least in Ontario, like the craft IPAs are just like you. It's like getting kicked in the face with oh, bitterness. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. For my viewing of uh, Baby Driver, um, how I would recommend watching it, um, if you will, I'm not sure if I would recommend this way of watching it, but (laughs) if you want to reproduce the way that I watched it this time around, um, you can start your viewing on the Saturday of Canadian Thanksgiving, which is in October, um, having just consumed a ridiculous amount of crockpot stuffing and a like chicken breast that had been filled with spinach cheese. Um, It's it was really good. Um, but it was heavy. And so now that you are sufficiently bloated and sleepy, you can pour yourself 100 mils of um, the breakfast quarter from Indie Ale House as a um, <laughs> alcoholic supplement. And then plop in front of your LG TV 42-inch um, on the east side of a leather couch and boot up Netflix. Uh, you can then convince your wife to watch just the first part in quotations, knowing that she'll stick around for the whole thing, having got like uh, stuck into it. And then have an hour-long conversation afterwards, despite the fact that the movie ended after 11 p.m. Something is like that is like I, I failed to note in your materials and methods is what brand of TV you watched Ooh. your baby show. So I got to side with Sean on this one. I'm pretty sure it was a Toshiba. Oh, and... you're banned from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? I, gotta, I, I like the underdog, okay? And uh, yeah, it was it was a... I was on the west side too. So yeah, I was on the west side of the couch with mm-hmm. Toshiba. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, we were streaming on Netflix at the time too. Because yep. again, Netflix algorithm worked pretty well for me back then. I can't say yep. it does anymore. But um, yeah. No, it keeps on trying to get me to watch Tiger King. Like still. <laughs> but I'm like, did- no. <laughs> you didn't click that at the beginning of the quarantine? Come on. You, you, you no. missed it. <laughs> Like literally everything about it screamed this you will not like this Tyler Vance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean yeah, in terms of what you value, I mean it was it was just like it was it was like it was junk food and it was great. I, I loved every moment of it. Like junk food is fine. I'm good with junk food, but like you know, like the Fast and the Furious movies are junk food. <laughs> like the first Transformers movie is junk food. Like <laughs> looks like like cocaine. It's just like <laughs> It's like it's it, we're we're getting to unhealthy levels. <laughs> this is not good for us as a society. Oh my. Well, you have better discipline than I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! Yeah. Well, 
It's like, so I get, okay, so we've got you and Sean on Team Toshiba, and then Dan, Keegan, and I on Team LG. Um, so what I guess what that's going to have to mean is at some point, we're going to have to have some sort of like battle royale between the two of us, probably like old Star Trek style with like the really intense music in the back, fight to the mm. death. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be messy, but I think that's the only way to probably like solve this big issue once and for all. Um, we should just have an episode at the end of this. Have however, what was it, uh, nine or ten people that you're going to be having? We'll all just yep. get on one episode and have a screaming match about which one's better. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be, yeah, battle royale, but podcast edition. <laughs> and we'll, oh, some, oh, we'll, we'll find some great music to set in the background, and yeah. you know, maybe we'll start out with some some like intense Halo Reach, and by the end of it, yeah, we'll get some like. Like intense Pirates of the Caribbean theme going at the end. Who knows? Well, if it's going to be Pirates of the Caribbean thing, then I demand it be is like uh, I demand that my entrance into the podcast be the uh, the song that plays when Jack Sparrow first shows up in the first Pirates of the Caribbean. This is probably the best character introduction, like of the last two decades, and it's all because of Hans Zimmer's score. (laughs) Yeah. And his ship just sinking down before. The <laughs> okay, that, that that helped too for that sure. That <laughs> was perfect. Absolutely, yeah. That, oh, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> anyway, within this within the span of this materials and methods, we've managed to talk about like of quite a few other things that aren't Baby Driver. So, I suppose <laughs> it's good for us to at this point head into the results section where we're going to be talking about nothing but baby, nothing but Baby Driver as we go forward. He says, hoping. We probably so, will. Oh yeah, it's like there's we can't help ourselves. So we're, we are who we are. <laughs> um, so for those of you who do not know, the results section is the meat and potatoes of any scientific publication. Um, it's where you put your newly acquired data and it's like and the frameworks used to analyze them, and you present them to the world for all to see. Here we're going to be talking about it's like Baby Driver and our the results of our viewing, and we here use actually several what we call homebrewed analysis models. Like Brett has like selected the analysis model, the Baker's Elemental Minimization model, which is the favorite amongst our first authors. Um, so this is like analysis model pays as like a homage to David Baker, the great in silico protein structure dude of the 21st century. Um, it's basically the model is shaped like an inverted triangle, where you start by looking at a larger overarching element, which is, is like some call it the wide angle. You then focus in on a particular scene which we call the standard lens. It's like, and then you can get even closer into an exceptionally finite moment, which is the long angle lens. So let us start with your overarching element. It's like, and um, I believe your over- overarching element would be considered by most to be like the main draw of Baby Driver. Uh, well, I just wanted to say, I had no idea that Sean Fippen had David Baker on his paper. Yep, yep. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm on that paper too. So it's you like, too. It's, so it's like I published with David Baker, even though I did very little. <laughs> you basically got his autograph through writing that. Exactly. He oh. like, his name is on my paper, so that's yeah. pretty much an autograph. Uh, I'm Sean's paper. <laughs> b- blown away by that. Like, uh, kudos to to Sean. That's no. He, he that should be on. He should just flaunt that every opportunity he gets. I'd put I that know, on right? LinkedIn. I'd put that on my resume. Like, yeah, I don't know why it's not the first thing he says. Hi, I'm Sean Fippen. I published with David Baker. How are you doing today? I know David Baker. Yeah. In silico protein structure, dude. Like, how? Ca- oh, it rolls off the tongue. Rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, okay. So my, yeah, my overarching element, I mean, I, and I've alluded to, alluded to this a few, few times, like how overall, just how Edgar Wright uses the soundtrack to, to kind of mirror and develop these, these two lives of baby where he's got this high stakes crime life that he's trying to get out of these, you know, fast beats and lots of yelling and distorted guitar. And then he's got this slow romantic kind of silent R and B good guy, I guess you could say. And this is, this is not new. I mean, you have, well, any moment, a fight scene, an action scene, yeah, you want to kick up the tempo a bit and increase and add some distortion on guitars or add lots of strings. But here, it's really interesting how this the certain songs that he chooses and just overall how it, not only is it communicating a mood, but it's also just helping to advance the story and help convey the plot of what's going on and and I for that I just I absolutely loved this movie for that overarching element I I mean the only way I can really convey this I just wanted to break down that first the first opening scene of baby that just ropes you in the first opening I I mean that's it's impossible not to talk about that no it's like showing up to a baseball (laughs) game and someone gets a home run on the very first bat you're just like oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's gonna be I think you made a point before how it's almost too good, right? There are some who say that this, the opening for this is kind of like the, um, the impossible check that it's like, that cannot be cashed. It's like, it's yeah. basically like, it's the promise that everything's going to be as good as this. And it, it really can't be because there's, there's nothing as good as that. It just sets the expectations so high for yep. it. And I actually, I'm pretty sure that Edgar Wright said he had the idea for this movie a while back, like well before it was uh he even started shooting and mm-hmm. he had always envisioned a car chase scene set to bell bottoms which is the yep. name of the first song and he always envisioned that and i think it really makes sense when you watch the movie how it's just such a perfectly orchestrated and executed scene that this guy must have been sitting on it for years to do this <laughs> i mean uh it's perfect uh and, and then it makes sense yeah and then the rest of the movie kind of kind of develops after the fact and it, there are moments that do get pretty close to the opening scene but nothing it's incomparable no, nothing will exactly measure up yeah well it's just like and even like so the movie starts and i didn't recognize this the first time but like it starts with the logos coming up like the like as they always do like sony tristar whatnot and yeah. during it all you can hear is the tinnitus like um squeal yes. like that like yeah. high-pitched like going like, on in the almost those, these like violins and strings in the yeah. background yeah which then slowly develops into car noises and then finally yeah. the song starts playing yeah and, and just that is like the, the um one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is after you have like it the song opens it's showing all the people in the car they all get out in time they yeah. like pick up the stuff and they walk into the bank and then it's like there's a sudden silence and it's just baby sitting alone in the car and then suddenly walking <laughs> out to this song yeah yeah water bottle playing the drums on his head <laughs> oh it's great yeah like the the opening scene you have you i mean you have cars and you have music right and so the the shot you're looking at the bank but then the car pulls up front and blocks your view. And then you just have like perfectly on beat. 
you know, each there's yeah four beats in each measure and each new measure of the song introduces a new character. You start with baby and then four beats and then Griff and then buddy and darling perfectly just matched to the score. And then, yeah, you've got the, the power chords, like the bow, bow. Yeah. And it just builds up so much tension and, and suspense there. Uh, and as you said, yeah, the, the tr- then right on beat, the song transitions right into the verse, which the crew will step out of the car and they, they cross the street. And yet, even you have the, the car horns literally matching up with the, guitar, uh, the power chords of the guitar. It's perfect. Yeah. And yeah, so these, these changes in the song will mirror transitions in the scene, right? And yeah. I just love the attention to detail there. It, it was mind-blowing. Um, yeah. And it, it was funny, just even so watching this post-COVID and, corona, and the, the lockdown, um, I just remember the, the heist crew crossing the street and they put their masks over their face. And I thought, yeah. Oh, like good for them. They're putting masks <laughs> on in the public space. Like, of course. We all do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Back and, then that would look suspicious as hell, but now it's like, Oh yeah, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're being public conscious. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, like, the, the idea of them robbing a bank didn't even cross my mind again on the second watch. I just, like when I first watch it, you obviously get sketchy vibes, but you know, yep. they've got the trench coats and sunglasses on. And, but these days, yeah, I thought it was, it's completely normalized to have the mask. And I just didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even, that's true. I didn't even like consider that when I was looking through, yeah. I was just kind of like, yeah, they're putting their masks on. Cool. Mm-hmm. Go on. So and- funny. Yeah. Um, and then, and then more examples like leading they as the song transitions into the next part you've got like the bass riff where it's like ba 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 da 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 and the the tempo picks up and then yep. we see john ham shooting his shotgun off inside the bank and all those shots are timed exactly to the beat and we finally get the first i guess lyrics or the the first time baby really speaks quote in the movie where he's like Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, I got to tell you about the fabulous, most groovy bell bottoms and wow. that epic chase scene. Yeah, and I'm sure you have lots to talk about for the the cinematography and the angling in that chase scene. Um, <laughs> one funny moment was when. Uh, they all get back into the car as the song's transitioning and the Griff just points forward and Baby immediately just reverses. And- <laughs> that was great. So Go. good. Yeah. And what's great about that is that the camera's placed outside the car so that like you, it was like, um, they like reverse out of, out of frame. So it's like, yeah. it's a, a, like a classic like Edgar Wright thing to like play with the edges of the frame. Things coming into and out of was like what you can see and kind of the right. comedy book. And so just like that choice of like, instead of like having it in the camera so that they like move backwards to have it so that they reverse out of frame as John Bernthal's character Griff is still pointing forward. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, they, they, he starts driving and they've got the, you know, each, each change in the light and the gear shift and the car crashes. And they're, all, they're all perfectly on time with the beat yeah. there. Um, it's, yeah, go, I just, I wanted to mention when i i first watched that scene um and so recently i I went back to visit my parents in nova scotia right Mm -hmm. and i i i drove back and on my way back up to ontario i (laughs) i was listening like 
I was I was somewhere in Quebec and I was listening to yours and Sean's podcast episode and I was just mm. trying to get a sense of of how you guys do things and I, I was I had been driving for at least nine or ten hours at that point I hadn't had coffee in a while and you guys were doing great but like you know the the chemicals in my body I needed some caffeine or something to get me going and I <laughs> a ringing I thought, endorsement in order to listen to the podcast <laughs> I required some sort of chemical stimulant. No. <laughs> No, nah, I was. Oh man, <laughs> that is not the takeaway. <laughs> Sean, you were amazing. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just gonna. I, I really want to get into the the psyche. Of, I, I just want to understand what, what potentially what baby could have been experiencing in this time. And so I put on the baby driver so, uh, soundtrack, and bell bottoms, of course, starts. And geez, like I. It was such an experience because I was driving this, I was a rental car, this Audi A5, and like, I I could feel it. It was completely automatic. But the second that that song started going, my foot pushed farther on the gas. (laughs) I was going like 120, and then this halfway through the song, I'm going 150 or 160. And I I was like, okay, 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 (laughs) slow down. (laughs) I, I couldn't believe it. And, um, but by the time I got to Montreal, you know, like I, I'd listened to the whole soundtrack and then I just went back to Bell Bottoms. And I remember because it was raining, it was pouring and I couldn't see anything. And there was a bunch of transport truck, trucks and people were bobbing in and out. And that song literally saved me. Like it kept, it kept me alert. I, I was very responsive and I, I, could, I could think clearly. And I thank Bell Bottoms for that because, <laughs> you know, I, it, it, I, I'm so happy that he chose that song. And even just one note about the when it was raining in Montreal. So, you know, you talk about the materials and methods and how we should try to, you know, if any listener wanted to replicate the listening or the viewing experience of this yeah. movie. Well, I, I tried to replicate what they did on set. I tried to time my windshield wipers to the song <laughs> like Baby was doing when he was sitting there. And but the windshield wipers were too fast. I couldn't time it exactly. So I call fake news because like, (laughs) you know, they must have slowed down the shot or maybe it was just maybe there's certain uh, certain timing for other other models or different cars. But yeah, I couldn't replicate it. So I think that they should probably take Baby Driver out of the literature because it's unreplicable. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's like well, or at least put like a, a disclaimer at the end. Like, if you're right. looking to replicate this, you need this brand of car. It was like a Subaru, mm-hmm. or, or yeah, some sort of like custom made setup. Maybe yeah. they even um, what they could have done is like if it's like they could have, but basically like taken the the windshield wipers off the gears and then just had like strings that they were pulling back and forth to the, <laughs> to the and then like <laughs> CGI'd them out. <laughs> Oh yeah, that could yeah. You know what? I, and granted, I'm. I mean, no one trying to replicate what Baby did. They. Uh, I even watched some some videos on YouTube, and I remember you guys were talking about certain citation styles and for YouTube. And I honestly can't remember what the channel was called, so I'm just gonna say, um, you know, data. I data not shown for this one. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I remember, shown. <laughs> right? I, I gotta do that. Um, and I will be able to quote other ones, but this one's sorry, guys, data not shown. But I'm sure if you scour YouTube, you'll be able to find it. But yeah, I was watching some shots about how 
they used a combination of, of CGI and, and just like the way that they actually did some of those shots, especially when, you know, baby puts the emergency brake and kind of um, shifts around that, like, this transport truck yeah, that, that on the one, side. That 180 shifts between like a dumpster, a, yes. a reversing transport truck and something yeah, else. Yeah. Which yeah, showed him I, a lot in the, in the trailer as well. And it is just an amazing shot. <laughs> it was an amazing shot. The way they put that together was, was brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, not that I would, I'd be able to replicate that, but no. that one, at least they showed that it was fake news and they couldn't, uh, that one they used CGI. <laughs> at least they were honest about that. But it is, it's, like, it's funny because that shot is like one of the only wide shots, like, like far off like shots in the entirety of the scene. Most of it is done very close and, uh, and kinetic. Um, yeah. There's this one like amazing camera shot where baby comes off of a a turn and he basically does like a full 180 turn is like from one road on to like the on ramp but the camera is like right there so when the car is like when it's like spinning like drifting around the corner it's like mm-hmm. it's front of the car it looks to be like like a meter maybe from where the camera is standing yeah it, camera falls yeah. him as he like takes off afterwards I'm just like how did you mm-hmm. do that safety wise yeah i remember like yeah you, you i almost felt for the camera guy there because yeah he's turning and it looks like it's going directly into the camera guy it's like going right into the screen there and yeah it was really well done yeah yeah it's terrifying <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the the fun thing about cars like car chases there's like a lot of famous car chases out there that were like so dangerous to film that like only the director would be willing to do it um oh my god um, nowadays in the modern era what usually happens for these type of action movies is that you'll have a primary like the primary director like edgar wright who does like all of the stuff with the principal actors and whatnot but then usually mm-hmm. you have like a second unit director who will do the coverage for all of the stunt work. Um, that's how like a lot of the Marvel movies work and whatnot. Um, but this movie, Edgar Wright is like, he did have a secondary director, but he was there like all the time. Like he was on set. He was actually in the car for a lot of those like um, things, but he just kind of wanted to experience what it was like. Yeah. Said that like a big part of the movies, like impetus was trying to like capture the feeling he had when that car come like comes around a corner real quick. And he's like, I want to give the audience this feeling. <laughs> and um, I think he does it. He does it well. Yeah. <laughs> I think like, it's amazing what they did in terms of quality. Like they, they didn't do too many shots. Like it was almost uh, quality over quantity there. Cause they yep. have the, the rest of the show to the a movie to develop. And compared to fast and the furious. Yeah. Like he, he, all you needed was a few of those really intense, really well executed shots. And that, that, was good enough for me in terms of feeling the action of the movie you yeah know? yeah well feeling the action also feeling the rhythm like i feel like some of the best driving um, movies have like they're able to capture the rhythm necessary for like standard cars like the idea of like clutch is like um gas brake is like and uh, parking brake in this case whenever he's doing drifts so like yeah. those insert shots and kind of how where they fall in the rhythm of the music like does a really good job to make you feel like the acceleration um and there is um, something to be said about how these movies are because like when you think about it he picks this song and he's like mm. we're playing this song straight through so <laughs> whatever you get has to match the song and that would have been like 
freaking impossible a little while ago. But because of um, the use of what they call like uh, animatics, which are basically moving storyboards. Mm -hmm. So a, a storyboard is was like was the old way that people used to like plan out movies. And it'd be almost like comic panels with like individual like shots. Like we're going to get this shot and then we need to get this shot and this shot yeah. and whatnot. But they're static images. Um, animatics are like storyboards that actually move. They're like CGI renderings of like, what needs to be and so you can set that to music to be like this is the shot we need this is how fast it needs to go and then they would send out like stunt drivers to do the stunt to see how it timed to the <laughs> animatic and then if it timed well they'd be like oh cool that we'll do that if it didn't time well then they'd either have to change the stunt or they would have to then like use like insert shots of like inside the car or something like that in order to like pat like pat it out one way or another um and so just like that is crazy the amount of work that that is is like relative to how most people do these type of shots is just unbelievable and it's mm -hmm. crazy yeah that he does throughout like most of the movie like almost like the entirety of the movie is like set to music of some variety yeah. or another i have two things to say about that yeah. first i think it's amazing that i mean i i just googled this like the fast and furious nine budget <laughs> and it's 38 million and baby driver Oof. was 34 and so yeah. you can imagine like Fast and Furious 9, they spent most of that, like, actually on... I, now, granted, I haven't seen Fast and Furious 9, but I can imagine that a lot of it was used for just the straight the straight car uh, car chase scenes. And... Yeah, I, don't think... hmm? like, I think Fast and Furious 9 hasn't come out yet. Oh, September 21st. Was that 9 or 8? Oh, sorry, 8. Yeah, it's yes. it Fate of the Furious. Yes. My, my, With an my 8 apology. for Fate. <laughs> <laughs> Come, come on, Brett. Yeah. Know your Fast and Furious movie. Oh, my bad. <laughs> and well, my googling, my googling came up short there because it was actually two hundred fifty million on oh, wow. on that. And so Jesus it's ama Christ. it's amazing what Baby Driver was able to do with like Edgar Wright was able to do with thirty four million versus two hundred fifty for for Fast and Furious Eight, right? Yeah. Um, and oh, like, yeah, the, the, some of those. And the fact that he had to do it to the soundtrack too, which leads me into my next point about how he had the whole, he had to come up with that soundtrack well in advance. And because guardians of the galaxy volume two was coming out at around the same time. Um, and so he had to coordinate with James Gunn to make mm. sure that there was no overlap in the soundtrack. Cause they both, you know, go back to this seventies, eighties, early nineties kind of uh, throwback songs. Right. Yeah. And so he had to not only, work with this budget but also had to coordinate the soundtrack well in advance in, in order to execute this properly and as you said it's from beginning to end of the movie it's everything is timed to that soundtrack yeah yeah and it's like not only like, I, I imagine like yeah you have to like coordinate with james gunn but you also have to make sure you can get the rights to the songs so that yeah. you're not yeah. like you don't plan a whole like stunt and then it's like Oh, we actually can't get that. It's like, oh, we'll just switch the music. Like, no, we can't. We can't switch no. the music. <laughs> we're, we're, it's the music is the stunt. It's the stunt's the music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine they they put all this money and energy into this one stunt, and then they find out at the last second that they actually can't use the song. <laughs> it have just been a bad day on set. <laughs> yeah. Like, poor, yeah, poor, poor Edgar Wright. If he because this whole movie was kind of built around the chase scene to bell bottoms, and if he just could, imagine if he couldn't use that song like where yeah. the movie would have gone <laughs> yeah well at least he was picking like you know like 
I don't want to say disparage the people who make bell bottoms, but at least he's not picking songs like <laughs> by like Led Zeppelin or something where they're going to be like, like Led Zeppelin, like is notorious for like only giving their music to like really like, like certain people and for a lot of fucking money. So yeah. Like, well, it's funny you mentioned that because like I actually that was one of my comments when I first watched it. I was like, like Robert Plant, like the like, plant, the singer, he I mean, a third of his vocabulary and lyrics in Led Zeppelin is baby. And I was like, how the hell did Edgar Wright not use Led Zeppelin? Like half of the lyrics, he's a screaming baby in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why. That's probably why yeah, you answered that for me. Yeah. Oh. It's like that scene is great and is like it is um I think I called it is it called that scene like an up moment like the movie up mm-hmm. where like you basically you have a first 10 minutes that just is so good that like you can you are in danger of after that scene of having like a major lull and yeah. I remember that was like with up like after that scene I was like I was like there's kind of like this bottoming out and then like yeah. the movie is still good and it takes a while to ramp back up. But I think Baby Driver actually did a good job after the scene's done because the scene goes to this huge long chase with this mm-hmm. really intense music. And then it ends with them pulling into a like a, a car garage and then like switching cars and pulling off. And as they do, finally the credits, like kind of on-screen credits are probably up to say like directed by Edgar Wright. And then we hit the next scene, which also has a music sting is like with the title Baby Driver showing up. And use i think you have something to say about this that scene as well because the it opens with this like very recognizable like do 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 and i i expected yeah. to hear another song show up immediately afterwards but it wasn't that song it was, it was like it was was it hard it's like uh what's it called what's that actually the song that they play called like harlem hustle uh, or something like that yeah harlem shuffle harlem shuffle yeah yeah um, well, I, I, just the title screen that you bring it up now. I love it because when it when it shows up, like oh, I, I don't know if you have it on hand, but that frame it actually looks like it's got this yellow line going up the top, yeah. and it looks like a road. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I just love that small detail there, where you just um, where you yeah, you're just looking up, and you can your your mind can infer that. But yeah, I, I think. And now we've discussed, you know, the the best the best use and the best scenes in terms of the music and the visuals. But I'd say this second scene right here is probably my number three in terms of how because it's interesting because the the Harlem Shuffle that he uses two different versions of the song here. So mm-hmm. one version of the song is used when baby is walking towards the coffee shop, and then the neck another cover is used after. On the hmm. way when he's returning, and so on on the way there, yeah, it's like it's slowed down. Or I mean, yeah, it's it's a slower, more chill version. And baby's just he he's feeling very relaxed. He's he's <laughs> he's. I mean, you talk you look at the the lyrics that are being sung. The graffiti is literally plastered on the wall. You see yeah. posters on of the lyrics on the telephone poles and well at one point it says like here is something and it's like lyric yeah. and it like pans down to the street just enough to see that like it's been written on the on the ground like here it says like and then like pans back up you're like oh yeah exactly and you know when you have like little the little trumpet the trumpet blasts uh 
in the song and baby just kind of belts back and does a, an air trumpet and yeah. i think he was doing the same thing when he was sitting in the car during the robbery with the strings in the background yeah. with bell bottoms um and yeah so so and, but everything's going well for him when he's walking there he's he's like yeah we just pulled it off he's good this was his second last heist mm-hmm. in terms of what he was expecting and he yeah. goes you know he he sees he gets to meet deborah and he walks into the coffee shop and just he kind of slows down and pauses his order just so he can be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to when he's ordering the coffee <laughs> <laughs> and like he's just having a good time. He gets his four coffees that now I, I used to work at Tim Hortons and those coffees came way too quickly. They, they came really fast. I love how pissed off the, the barista is when he says <laughs> is his name, like B-A-B-Y baby. And the guy is just like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you think you're pulling a prank on it and i could say firsthand yeah when you get i don't you just don't believe the person or you think it's just gonna be like a a prank call or it's like some sort of joke and then you have to scream it later like oh it's so funny (laughs) baby come here i got your coffee like (laughs) yeah um and then yeah so again it's the the music and the the music really helps with the plot and like this, the character of baby here, because he's very relaxed on his way to the coffee shop. But then in going towards, um, I forget exactly. He's just going back to um, the meeting place, essentially where yep. they plan everything. And uh, the, the, the tempo is literally picked up and you've got the organ playing and you've got a few of these other instruments. And, you know, he, he gets almost run over by a biker and he's got these extremists yelling at Being him. accosted by some guy telling him about how the end is near. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and even the graffiti on the wall changes and he's just yeah. a lot more, he's, uh, he's not as in control and he's not as relaxed anymore. And just, it's literally the same song, just covered by a different band. And it can show how um, music can be used that way, right? And how different yeah. bands, when they cover a song, obviously they put their own twist on it. And the yeah. same thing goes with movies. Well, yeah, and it's, and it's also cool because like, what I love about that sequence is that, like, A, it keeps the energy up from the first scene. So then it's like, mm-hmm. you don't feel alone. B, you get to see him like going through and just like having this grand old time, like just timing everything to music, being super happy with like with uh, with his setup. Um, this really long tracking shot, which is a, like a, a, another like hallmark of like Edgar Wright stuff, like from Shaun of the Dead days, he likes to do those like long tracking shots. Um, but it's just like done so like fluidly and go through. But then you're right when he's heading on his way back, his rhythm is broken. What's ruined? What ruins his rhythm is actually. <laughs> the police officer that's on the street. Mm-hmm. So he has to cross the street to the other side. And so like, I feel like his usual routine, he's timed this out so that the song can carry on. And he walks back down that same street and is just like, is able to do it. But he, it's like slightly messed up because he had to, yeah. because of this cop. And it's something we're going to talk about later about kind of like the crime aspect of his life interfering with what he wants out of, uh, out of life. Of course. And, and, it just goes to show, you know, he had that one moment, that one kind of moment of peace immediately after the heist when yeah. all he has to do is get his coffee and he yeah. doesn't have to think about his crime. He doesn't have to think about anything else. He gets to, yeah, he, he gets to see Deborah walking down the street and he's, um, 
yeah, he he's trying to compartmentalize his life almost. And then the second he grabs a coffee, he knows that he has to go back and report. He knows he has to go in and see those people again. And so he's just caught off guard with the cop and the guy yelling at him and all, all these things just start to go wrong. For, yeah. For poor baby. Poor baby. <laughs> poor baby. He has a poor baby. Life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so we could move at this point into my overarching element. Um, but yeah. I'd say that you is like that that scene with the uh, the Harlem Shuffle is your third favorite. The f- mm. opening is your first. I would be remiss as a host if I did not <laughs> ask what your second is. Oh, dude. Uh, all right. You, you know what? And it's great that you asked this now because I was trying to think, well, is there going to be a way to discuss this later on? No spoilers. There's, I'm not sure if there's a discussion. I don't want to spoil that. But oh, yeah. um, I was gonna say, well, we already spoiled the whole movie. But like, oh, okay, don't spoil the discussion. God, gotcha. don't spoil exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I keep need to hold myself to a certain standard here. Yeah, three seventeen rule. Biochem three seventeen rules apply. Keep the discussion out of the results. <laughs> well, let me just describe it as a results then. So yeah. there's a. Uh, I just uh, the, the the second for me was, and it feels like it's almost near the end. Like it it really feels as the viewer that's at least halfway, if not three quarters to the movie, but no, it's like 30 minutes in and (laughs) it's this classic montage. And we're going to talk about tropes uh, later on in this talk, but it's almost like baby's origin story where, Mm. you know, we want to know about him and what, what makes him tick. You know, Griff's always saying, I want to know what's going on between his ears. I want to know what's going on. And, you know, as the audience, we get to see this where he's at his, he's at his mom's show with his dad as a kid and he receives an an iPod for his birthday and you know we get to see some of like the family issues that were going on and finally the car crash which results mm-hmm. in getting his his parents killed and baby gets tinnitus from this yeah. and he's having this flashback while he re- takes the car and this is after the second heist um he's taking the car to get it uh, compounded and get it removed and with a dead body with the dead body of course you gotta yep. sunset that ride baby yep and, and yeah you just like, really feel for baby it's heart-wrenching and then <laughs> easy by the commodores comes on right afterwards and baby's back in step and you almost feel this false sense of relief where um yeah i i just feel i feel like baby's good things are yep. good it's only a thir- like 30 minutes into the movie but i feel like he can go no wrong at this exactly point. everything's like, fine clearly everything's <laughs> fine it's like and this is just going to be good from here on out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how movies go yeah uh, and again with the editing i love the detail because um my uh i have easy but i have that song uh on mm-hmm. one of my like morning playlists or something like that like sometimes it'll come on and i noticed that the song was actually sped up a little bit in the film so that it's slightly in time it's in time with his walking while he's going down the street there and small things like that just really got me going with uh with the the audio and and musical editing for the movie well definitely i i love that scene as well i actually i think we have the exact same top three scenes in in the exact same (laughs) order as like because i love the first like the first opening heist the best then it's this scene with the easy by the commodores and then it's the uh harlem shuffle one and What I love about this scene is like first it opens with a what they call a match cut. So like um, we leave um, after the la- the second heist, uh, a character who made a mistake is like unceremoniously murdered off screen, mm. and then Baby has to get rid of the car that he where his dead body is in the trunk, 
And so we end that scene with a shot of baby, just like, like, like his, uh, we were looking at his back as he's staring at this car that he's going to have to go get rid of. And then we have like a quick cut where baby's standing from our perspective, the exact same place on the frame. Like, um, but now he's changed locations. He's no longer staring at this car in the parking lot. He's now staring mm-hmm. at this car being destroyed. And like that match cut of him just like staring. And then he has those flashbacks that you were talking about. And then he starts to, he's like, then he just like puts on his earbuds, starts playing easy and everything just starts to like wash away. All the stress yeah. starts to wash away. He takes his racing gloves off and throws them away. He takes his burner phone out and throws it away. And you just get this feeling of just like, he's like shucking off this like criminal life. He's like, I'm done with this. And he like walks out. And I just remember that scene of being like, this is, is like this is nice. This is great. And you is kind of like, yeah. So are we like almost wrapped up here? Thirty minutes in? No, we're definitely not. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Where it's gonna go? Yeah. And even even just um to to add to when you yeah like baby staring back at the car and you can hear the little ringing in the background like the the, the tinnitus. Yeah. You can you can hear that. And so just showing how um he's hearing this ringing and then when he gets the ringing. He's thinking about his family and he's thinking about his past. And then he just puts on his headphones and then just it all washes away. Yeah. I, I, going back to the second highest, I just love the detail where I think it's Eddie. Um, Eddie is actually uh, Flea, like the bassist of the Chili Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no nos. Just those small, small details. Like, of course, yeah, you get a musician to play one of the heist men. Oh. Yeah, it was, I love what, that. what's crazy about that is that you have Flea in your movie and he's not the most ridiculous person on on screen at the moment because besides <laughs> Flea, you also yeah. have Jamie Foxx playing Bats, Jamie Foxx. who's just like <laughs> chewing scenery and spitting it out like left, right and center. Yeah. center. And then you have this other guy. Um, I can't remember the character's name, but he has tattoos all over him and he's got the word hate that he is yeah. now. But he's like he had them remove the E. So it says hat. It's like. <laughs> why did your tattoo say hat it's like I re- it said hate but i removed the e so to increase my chance of employment it's like, how's that working out it's like who doesn't like hats <laughs> <laughs> hey at least he's part of the gang he's like somewhat employable that's know? true but then he dies after that because he's the person in yeah. the back of the car is like and this yeah. he messes up throughout the heist first he gets them all um instead of getting michael myers masks from the movie halloween he gets austin powers mike meyer masks um and messes them all up um, which i feel wasn't as bad you know what if you gotta at least they were still able to yeah. cover up but then and... he forgot his shotgun in it's like in the car yeah. it's like so then left it for the police to find and be able to trace and say like, and so that was the not groovy jd not groovy at all not, not groovy <laughs> yeah i feel like it was almost uh it wasn't wasted because of course we got to see jamie fox but i mean i'm a huge chili peppers fan and i love i love flea he's a huge energetic persona yeah on stage i mean like i would like to think that i try to emulate that guy on yeah. stage when, when we perform with local band and oh, like I, I can he, believe he's it. a right yeah <laughs> everyone listeners please please check out local band at some point i mean i think we have one video on youtube you do your dad posted uh, it my dad. Okay. Yep. How do I, I? I don't even know how to cite YouTube, but uh, <laughs> it's YouTube. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I felt yeah, because I love Flea, but yeah, just having Jamie Fox there almost took away the energy from Flea because yeah. 
he was a little more uh, collected than you'd expect him to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose if you got Jamie Foxx in your movie, he's like, he's like, he is dynamite as, uh, as in supporting <laughs> roles. Um, yeah. Um, it's like the, the, the uh, in Horrible Bosses, the character named Motherfucker Jones um, was pretty great. <laughs> and, and this movie called, it's like his the character's name, Bats, is, is also fantastic. Um, it's funny. Yeah. Bats kind of comes in in that second heist and replaces John Bernthal's character Griff um, from the first heist because you know, like they're both the same character pretty much. They both give Baby a hard time. They're both kind of a little crazy. But it's funny that John Bernthal's Griff's last line in the movie off the elevator is like, "If you don't see me again, it's because I'm dead." And he leaves, <laughs> and we never see him in the movie again. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we never. Yeah, we never see him. Oh. <laughs> uh... I, I like to think that he's still alive. I, I hope somewhere so. out there, maybe maybe in a sequel, yeah. maybe Baby Driver Two will have Griff come back from the dead. Oh, I hope there's no sequel. Yeah, um, I don't know what they would do with one. Really, it's just it's. I think it's a a, good, a great standalone movie. Let Edgar Wright do something yeah. else. Yeah, no. let him find some other genre to start flipping on its head. Exactly. <laughs> um, so because we brought up bats. Um, it's like uh, Jamie Foxx's character. This might be a good time mm. to transition into my overarching element. And uh, before we do, we need to have a little bit of a talk. Um, not 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 you and me, but me and the me and the listeners, the reviewers at home. Um, it's very difficult to make a movie. Let's make let's make that clear. And uh, I think to make this movie, it's especially difficult. And I think Edgar Wright did an amazing job. Everyone on like on both on and like uh, both in front of and behind the camera were amazing. Um, it's just like oh, an amazing movie. I love it. It's great. However, I do have issues with it. And it's when I bring forward my issues, it should not be considered as me criticizing to the point of I think I could have done better because I definitely couldn't have. However, it's like there are some things that unfortunately stop me from absolutely adoring this movie. Um, and they're nothing to do with the technicals, nothing to do with the music or the visuals that we were just talking about. They're more based off of the idea of decision making in character work. The first hour of this movie, in my opinion, is practically flawless. Like there's no issues with it at all. Um, I remember the first time I watched the movie, I was so on board and there's like, there's this very specific moment when a character makes a decision that I just, I could feel myself lost. So if the overarching element for this is going to be decision-making, I'm going to skip the scene for the second and go to the exact moment where the movie loses me. Um, and it is specifically when babies like, decides effectively to murder Jamie Foxx's character. Um, he is like there is like it's during the third heist in the movie um baby's had a rough night it's like the criminal underworld has found out about deborah they've attacked his step is like his foster father he's not having a good time and it's been very clear throughout this movie that he doesn't want to be in this he's not the same as these people he's not it's like um bloodthirsty he's not in it for the money he is here because he has to be because he's being blackmailed to do so and now you can feel that it's really weighing on him. And so they're going to this, this bank, all the people get out of the car, they go in and then they come out and they're telling him to, to leave. And as they're saying that the security guards are coming and everything's kind of like getting really loud, the music's building and Jamie Foxx is pointing a shotgun in his head and he says drive. And so it's like baby just guns it right into this like um, pole sticking out of the back of a truck ahead of them, which impales Jamie Foxx's bats character and kills him and in that exact moment i remember it's like with that split second decision i was no longer on this character's side um i no longer is like felt that he was 
like the unfortunate person who was outside of this world. Like John Bernthal said at the beginning of the movie, someday you're going to get blood on this on your hands, and you're going to realize that doesn't wash off in the sink. And I so at that exact moment, I was like, uh oh, I no longer feel like as much empathy for this character. And that wouldn't be such a bad thing. That could actually be is like that's pretty much what the movie Drive is about. It's about a character who you kind of like, and then you realize he's actually like kind of a sociopath and and violent, and you your <laughs> enjoyment of him de- like decreases. <laughs> But um, and the movie's expecting you to react that way, but I felt that Baby Driver never actually reckoned with this. Like Baby just killed someone, um, and there's never a moment where it seems to bother him. There was never a moment beforehand that made it clear that this was his only option. That like there was nothing left for him to do. Like why he didn't just drive away and like complete the heist? Because in doing this, not only does he kill Jamie Foxx's character, he also instills several shootouts with. The police which probably leads to more fatalities on the side of the police and he ends up getting darling who is the another one of the it's like um another one of the crew and um john ham's um like significant other she ends up getting shot and killed and so because of his actions all these people die and he doesn't have really any sense of remorse or indication there was never an indication in the movie that this should have been like that it like that he should have had um that this should be like the only option for him um, why he didn't just complete the heist and then disappear, I don't know. And um, I think this moment itself isn't necessarily the problem. It's the moments, it's, like, it's the scenes before and after it that are kind of the issue. Because if the scenes before it had indicated to me that Jamie Foxx was definitely going to go and kill Deborah after this. So there was like, he's like, he had like, that was like, he had said it explicitly or something like that. Then I might have been like, okay, this guy needs to go. Or if there was a scene afterwards where you show baby like literally like shaken and like upset <clears throat> by the fact that he just killed someone and reckoning with that. If I had those scenes on either side, then the moment could have been mitigated and I could have been like, okay, I'm on this person's side again. But instead mm-hmm. what's happened is because they don't have that from that moment on, I'm less and less on baby's side. And unfortunately <laughs> more and more on John Ham's side <laughs> <laughs> becomes like the main antagonist of the third act because his yeah. girlfriend darling was just killed and it's all baby's fault and so he's decided okay i'm gonna go kill baby's girlfriend now and i'm watching it going kind of like yeah i get that <laughs> i understand what <laughs> well, <you're> <laughs> you raise a few good points there i think um baby really does lose control near the end of the like in the third act mm-hmm. and like when when they go to the weapons drop yeah you can even see by the angling and like the music that they choose that you know, most of the time, the the shot is focused on Baby in most of these, uh, in most of the scenes leading up to it. Like, yeah. it's it's he's the focal point. But um, I'll start with the song in the weapons drop because mm. I'd say like that's one of the areas where like things really started to to go off the rails, right? That's they, the they moment. Shot yeah, that's the moment, right? And so um, the the late I forget who's singing it, but they're saying like nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, yeah. Baby, right? Yeah, and like. Baby's really, um, that's where he loses control. And even the shot, like, it's no longer focused on Baby. Each of the characters, when they're shooting, actually gets their own little little moment there. Yeah. Um, and now this isn't to, to defend Baby or even defend, you know, you no longer empathizing with him mm-hmm. and now joining John Ham's side. Um, but that was the moment where, like, because I feel like for the rest, we're going to talk about this later, but, like, Baby he's really in control 
through his music. Like he's everything's locked in time. Everything works. His all of his stunts and everything's kind of kind of comes up baby when he's listening to his music and he every like they, things unravel as he sees fit. And that weapons drop is the moment where everything goes off and he's no longer in time with the music. And aside from the gunfire, which yeah. I thought was really funny, the gunfire was perfectly timed. Time to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he goes off the rails and I feel like, yeah, he doesn't even have time to process or, or show any remorse because he no longer, he doesn't know what to do anymore. He's uh, he doesn't know how things are going to end. He doesn't have his playlist. Um, later on, his iPod gets broken too. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, I can definitely see that. Like, everything's kind of like coming apart. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it's like, I just, I, I felt like there wasn't the pieces in place necessary to lead me to believe that this was his only option. And because I didn't feel like it was his only option, it's like, I no longer felt that he got to have the sympathy that we were all giving him. Yeah. Especially I mean, when you look at the end when everyone's talking, like, they're doing, he's been caught by the police. And then they're doing this, like, court scene where everyone's saying, he's a good kid. And I'm sort of like, but is he, mm. though? He literally just straight up murdered <laughs> this person and put all these other people in a position to have a fight with like a shootout with the cops. Like if he was actually like interested in is like in preserving human life, he wouldn't have made this choice is it, or he would have made several different choices beforehand. Why did he decide to skip out on the heist at 2 a.m. when he was clearly not going to be able to get out of there like easily? Ja- yeah, like Jamie Foxx pulls. You can see like Jamie Foxx. Pretty sure it was him who pulls the gun in the diner and is about to um, kill Deborah. Yeah. Un- or, exactly yeah. right, and maybe he wasn't going to kill her, but he was going to threaten her. Yeah, and that's probably one of that moment where, yeah, you know, Baby might not have. It, it, it's possible that he might not have killed her, but in Baby's mind, he's like, okay, that's it. Jamie's like, Jamie Fox has got to go, right? Yeah, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can, I can be made to see that, but really, it's like one of yeah. those. Like I needed something a little bit more explicit. Like um, I don't usually like things to be ex- exceptionally explicit, but there's a lot that happened yeah. the night before, and I we don't really get much from Baby in terms of what his thought process is, like how he's right. coping with this. We see what he says to people, but we don't know why he's saying things. Like why does he say they give him the chance? Like Kevin Spacey says, the, the heist is off, and everyone says, "No, we're going to do this." And they said, "Okay, Baby, it's your decision." And he says, "Let's go for it." I'm like, "Why did you say let's go for it? Why? Like, I want to get out? Mm-hmm. Why did you say that?" And then yeah. he's like, "They are they are going to not use him as a driver." And then he says, "Like, no, no, I need to be your driver." And I think the reason why he says that is because he recognizes that if he's not their driver, they're going to kill him. Um, yeah. Like, but like once again, it's like it's not as clear as it needs to be for me. So yeah, what I needed was for bats beforehand to like when they're all like getting out of the car, him to whisper is like something along the lines of like, you're going to do what you're told, or I'm going to go to that diner and I'm going to kill that girl. And like, and that's the moment of like, okay, obviously something needs to be done about bats. Yes. And then I needed afterwards, after he like has this really epic, like foot chase, which is like really good. Um, <laughs> after he kills bats and he goes through, it's like, I needed him to have a moment of like shakiness to showcase that he's, sad about what he's done that he's like realized that he's now we're, we're like getting the payoff to what john bernthal said at the beginning you're you've got blood in your hands and it's not going to wash off in the sink so like I, we need him to have some moment where he's obviously upset with what he did um because since he's not and the movie doesn't seem to be there's this disconnect between i feel like he needs to be punished for something and the movie and baby <laughs> seem to feel like they're he's still exceptionally innocent and i'm like no, he murdered that guy though. Like that guy's dead now. Mm-hmm. 
Like, yeah, he wasn't, it, he wasn't a very good guy, but, like, you know, he dead now. <laughs> it, it kind of, for me, it reminds me of that, like, philosophical, um, I don't know, like, thought experiment almost, where it's, like, like, okay, so um, Jamie Foxx was clearly, like, okay, when Baby's driving, he, he pulls stunts and moves the car to prevent Jamie from, from shooting the drivers next to him right? yeah like he wants to prevent death da- baby doesn't want anyone getting killed here right yeah. and i know yeah i think something goes off in baby's head where <laughs> this might be a stretch but it, it's like if i kill jamie fox then i will be saving all these po- other potential people that mm-hmm. he might kill and very hypothetical of course yeah but I, I you know in terms of those those moral dilemmas it's like yeah you know you, you kill this person in order to save x x people uh would you do it you know and most people would opt for no no one actually like you know i I forget there was this like thought experiment where do you do you it's like a train track and then you can either divert exactly right do you take the external action to save people but like in either either case people die right but by taking the action um few more people are saved and still people don't want to take the action because it's like as if you contributed to their deaths exactly yeah it's the idea of like if you have four people on one track and one person on the other and you can divert the train it's going to run over the four people but if you divert it it'll run over just the one person most people will still say they won't do it because if you do then you're taking an active part in killing someone to kill someone Yeah. yeah and that's what it reminded me of a little bit and it's a bit of a stretch but like yeah that was baby um taking the action there and saving Deborah and saving all any hypothetical people that he wanted to save. Yeah. And I think you're, you're very right. And I think there is like a very interesting thing to be done there. The movie doesn't do anything with it. And that's kind of like the no. problem. Like it, that's, <laughs> yes. The moment isn't the issue. It was the moment was what I had a problem with when I first watched it. When I watched yeah. it the second time, I realized that that moment isn't the issue. There was ways to do it on either side of that moment on the scenes on either side that I would have been happier with. And, mm-hmm. and if I was able to get through that moment, then I think the third act in its entirety would have been, I would have been happier with it because I would have still been on the side of my main character when he's going and making, like, he's trying to fix all this. So he's making even more and more, like, dubious choices as he goes through of, like, trying to get Deborah involved, of, like, dropping his, like, his, like, his foster dad off at a home, at the mm-hmm. going and, like, getting Kevin Spacey involved and then, like, trying, like, shooting John Hamm, all this sort of stuff. Like I would have been on board with all of that more if like the first step hadn't been a misstep for me. Then like it was just kind of like everything he did afterwards, I was less and less on his side and more and more yeah. John Hamm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Of course. Yeah. People are perfect. And that could be another thing that comes, you know? Like yeah. Baby, yeah, baby, baby's got flaws. Yeah. Yeah, people, he's like, baby's got flaws, but, but it's like, if a, if a person has flaws, it's like, the movie shouldn't still be treating them like they're, um, like they're a saint. Like they're perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and that's, no, I think that's a good point. That, that's, that's an, that's an issue that I had. It was like, but really, mm-hmm. that's the only issue I had with the movie. However, mm-hmm. it was unfortunately something that like hit at my investment in the end of this movie. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, it just colored the rest of the scenes after the fact. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like before that, everything that he did, not only was it cool, but it was also like character driven, and I felt like I understood why he was doing it. And then mm-hmm. after that, I was kind of like, I don't think you're the person I thought you were, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny you say even at that moment, like through my my subjective through my listening experience mm. or, or a viewing experience of this movie, I find that I'll I'll watch it. 
because I've seen it a few times now, and I think I know the ending the least mm. because I'll like at some point either I got distracted or if I was to watch it and then you know someone called me or I just fell asleep. Like it was after the pivotal point and like things kind of fall apart afterwards like yeah. I, yeah i've seen like the beginning the first hour so many times and the intro I've, like quite a few times but i've never finished the whole thing um like i've only finished the movie probably like three or four times yeah because of that <laughs> yeah and it is funny because like the first hour i feel is just like perfect and it's literally when yeah. he shows up for the planning for the third heist like i can feel it start to yeah hit. And then, like, it's once that decision is made in that moment of like murdering Jamie Foxx, and like, uh oh. And then it's just like from there, it's just a, a down and world downward spiral. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I want to talk about the planning for two seconds. Yeah. Like when, when when they're planning out these heists, I just love uh, there's a, one moment, and it was actually the moment that really tuned me into this movie. And I suddenly, if not for the first six minutes, this was the scene that really heightened me in terms of the audio editing mm. because um let me let me see like there i think it was griff that walks up to baby and he's like oh what are you listening to um it was during yeah it was during the planning he's like no it was made of, i forget it was jamie fox i think you're i think you're right that it was john bernthal and it was after the first yeah. heist was done like back when, yes. they, when they're all getting the coffee yeah yeah uh and, like he just he takes out uh he takes out baby's headphone and the audio so he takes out his left ear mm-hmm. and the audio so w- when i was watching it later on i had headphones on i was just watching it on my ipad yeah and it pa- the audio panned to the right headphone yeah i noticed and, that yesterday um, when i was watching it with headphones yeah and uh small stuff like that just i thought it was hilarious yeah that's really um cool. yeah and there was not that there was because Edgar Wright loves, like, he'll, he'll have these subtle jokes, right, that he throws in. And it, it's not even funny. It was just, to me, um, I thought I was, it was kind of funny detail where, um, yeah, it, Griff is asking what baby's listening to. And he's, he's like, yeah, I just want to figure out what makes him tick. Like, you just, you can't just be in crime. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want to know, I, I, I want to know what's going on between, between those ears. And then he looks down. He's like, besides some like, and he just picks up the iPhone. He's like, Egyptian, Egyptian reggae. reggae? <laughs> what? <laughs> and like, I thought he was talking about the genre there, uh, but but no, like that was just the name of the track. Yeah, like it was a rock band that did it. And I I died because like when I first heard that, I thought Baby was listening to like the genre. Egyptian but no, reggae. it was just the, the title of the track. And like, <laughs> it wasn't even that funny, but it was just so subtle, and I loved that moment. <laughs> My favorite part of that moment is how like he like John Berthold keeps on taking off his sunglasses like takes off baby sunglasses <laughs> and maybe just keeps on producing sunglasses from the pockets <laughs> whack just pulls him out again yep <laughs> uh, uh and one of the in the second heist he's like oh you got that baby and like <laughs> jamie fox is like no like he doesn't know a thing about what you just said like uh baby doesn't know like doesn't know the plan at all and then he just re- basically regurgitates the whole thing back to them yeah <laughs> even yeah. though he's got his headphones it's on i love probably that. read lips um yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah which is the interesting thing like i so my um my friends and i we have this this thing uh called um the secret best character 
And so it's like, it's usually in television series how like there are characters that are like kind of like extras or like pushed into the background, but they end up mm. being like secretly like the best character in the movie. And I think that this one actually has two. One of them is Joe, who is um, Baby's like adoptive father, um, who has uh, his foster dad, I suppose, who has like, uh, he, he's, he's deaf and he's also wheelchair bound, but he, yep. he's so emotive. He's like with his signing and with his, uh, with his face. And like yeah, with his face, yeah, yes, expressions. And it's just kind of like the moral compass of this. And there's like this great yeah. scene where Baby is like making him a like a peanut butter sandwich, and like uh, and then is dancing around. And just Joe's looking at him like, okay, whatever. And then Baby keeps on coming and almost handing him the sandwich, but the song's not done, so he dances away for a bit and then comes back and almost hands it. And you just see Joe's just done with it. And I'm like, yeah. he's just looking down. He's like face planting almost. Yeah. <laughs> so he definitely one of the secret best characters definitely and then the other one is sam who is kevin spacey's character's um nephew um this like boy who he takes on a is like a uh, a heist like to the bank to like case oh, the place yes. and, yeah. like, and it's just like this <laughs> little kid who's like playing his video game apparently not looking but like is just like so in like in deep with like the crime lingo so that like when baby takes him in is like to as does he's just he's taking him into this bank so that baby can find out like how many cameras there are all this sort of stuff and the the kid is just supposed to go in as kind of like cover like it's less suspicious if you're with a kid Mm -hmm. but baby's having a hard time like saying like how many cameras are there where's everything and then suddenly the kid pulls on the sleeve looks down he's like they say there are eight cameras and <laughs> just like listing like, it all off yeah he, like, he's like figuring out their schedules and stuff like oh yeah she's gonna be going there and, yeah. yeah and then <laughs> like get out and like the and he's it, they're telling all this information to kevin spacey and then he's like and babe's like yeah and the, and the teller seemed nice and then like sam's like yeah she's like she seemed very nice she seems the type of person you could say boo to and she'd give you all the big bills first you don't even have to use a gun <laughs> this kid <laughs> Yeah, it took me a bit to like, it took me a few watches to like process how awesome the kid was because I was so focused on baby in yeah. those moments trying to figure it out. And like, yeah, you're right. You're like, the kid was so, so used and so, so acclimated to the environment that he just, yeah, he was able to get all the information and just hook baby up. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is not the first time this kid has been used as cover for a man. <laughs> no, yeah. You also, you're talking about, Joe, he said. Yep, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love him because, like, in, yeah, in that scene, maybe it wasn't that scene, but I just remember Joe um, feeling feeling the vibrations mm-hmm. coming from the yep. song Deborah, right? Yeah. And he's like, he's kind of nodding along. He's like, oh yeah, like th- those are good. Yeah. <laughs> he's really enjoying it, right? What I like that he he signs like he's like I approve. He's like, and then Baby says of the song. He's like, no, the girl. Because he knows that like he's, he's dancing around listening to this song because of this, like some girl he's is uh, into. Yeah, yeah, and in there, yeah, in his interactions. Uh, oh yeah, of course he's yeah, he, like you said, he's the moral compass, and he's he's like you don't have to be doing that anymore. Like you shouldn't be in that life, and <laughs> I love this detail. And this was from um, the cinema cinema wins i think it was a youtube video i was watching yeah and he he caught this detail where um baby baby puts a banana up to his head and he's like oh i can't hear you and he's like i'm signing to you right yeah, but he's like trying to ignore him <laughs> <laughs> and actually the code word later on for the, the bananas. Heist, things bananas right yeah. i this is small details and yeah. 
and even like the 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 rumbling that I was talking about when he's he's listening to Deborah, um, Baby does the same thing after like after John Ham shoots his gun off and Baby just can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. He's sitting in the car. He he reaches his hand out. I'm pretty sure towards to the radio to feel the vibrations. He does. Deborah's yeah. driving. Yeah, and I thought yeah. that was a good parallel there. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good moment. Um, it's yeah. funny that you bring up the I've never watched the YouTube cinema like series uh, Cinema Wins, um, but it is like the counterpoint to Cinema Sins, which is um, I'm going to I'm going to put this on the on the on the record right now, like the worst mm. film analysis it's like <laughs> panel is like um, out there. Um, Cinema Sins is basically it's the one if you ever see it, like everything wrong with blank in this. And they have like, less. a counter on the side. They do. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like it is like the laziest, most like negatively focused form of film criticism. And I hate it. Yeah. But um, I think uh, Cinema Wins seems nicer, though. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if it's the same guy, but I did watch the Cinema Sins mm. for Baby Driver. And I kind of agreed. Yeah. Like he was. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't like his analysis either. <laughs> It's 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 you it's usually very um very surface level and like all plot is like plot related and most of the time it's yeah. just like willfully ignorant. Like it's actually like you could have figured that out if you thought about it for like five minutes. But clearly but, you just yeah. didn't do um yeah. for the jokes. And um I so like honest trailers, great. It's like um <laughs> ends, good times. Cinema Sin, yep. complete garbage fire. Um just, yeah. um Okay, so now that I've thrown shade at probably the most popular YouTube is like um channel about film on it's like on YouTube, um, are you ready <laughs> to move into the discussion now? Sure. Yeah, I think now that we mentioned cinema wins and cinema sins, you could probably put them as keywords in your podcast so that people can find them. Oh yeah, I'm sure that'll go that'll right? go super well. All the fi- yeah, all their fans will come here, and then they'll actually instead of hearing us enjoying it or like just praising them uh they'll actually turn out that we're we're completely against their philosophy yeah we think they're we think they're um they're they're garbage people for a garbage world and that's all we're gonna say on the matter all right so with that we're gonna move on to the discussion which unlike the materials and methods is probably everyone's least favorite thing to write but most people don't mind reading it um it's the portion that connects your data and the analysis of your work um, to all of the works that have been done before it is like out in the field. It asks the key questions about its place in this wider canon and hopefully is able to answer them. In our case, we're going to be looking at Baby Driver and how it relates to Edgar Wright's other movies, as well as just media in general um, and some of its big themes it's asking um, and how it, we kind of like come to terms with them. Um, so the idea that we're going to start with first is the discussion point on escapism in music. So Brett, would you like to take that away? Well, of course, I just like to start with, I mean, I don't think escapism in music is a bad thing or anything. You know, like I think I do that all the time. Like I'll I'll go to the gym and I'll just, you know, I don't want to think about the hard work and the annoying, like how tired I'm getting and how how crappy the experience of driving to the gym, spending an hour there and going back. Like, you know, I'm going to put my music on, you know, yeah. and just distract yep. myself from it. Uh, and it just reminds me of something from Brooklyn Nine-Nine when, like, I think uh, Amy and Holt are, try- are like, going to go to the gym together and he's trying to train her and she just pops her headphones on and Ray looks over. He's like, what? You can't, no, music is a crutch. You can't do that while you're working out. 
and <laughs> Amy just stares at him blankly, and I died because in that moment I was like, no, like I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna listen to music while I'm working out. I I, I need that distraction, you know. Yep. We're, we're sitting there doing lab work, and I know Peter hated when we had music on or any headphones on in general while we're doing lab work, and I know it's different for other labs, but. Uh, I liked when we're sitting there loading crystal trays for two hours. Yeah, having some music on was really helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I completely agree. It's like the um, the only it's like the only time that I ever un- like I had one job where I wasn't allowed to listen to music, and I didn't understand why. It was when I was working at uh, for Household Hazardous Waste back when I was mm. like in my in my youth, and <laughs> I was like wandering around. Is like, and they said like, yeah, you can't listen to head. It's like to any music on the job, and I'm like, oh, this yeah. sucks. And some of those you're wandering around it's like hours and stuff like that and i was it was a good job but it was like but there was like times where it could get like very monotonous and be nice if you had music but one time i was walking past this big barrel that was that contained like a bunch of like hydrocarbon based chemicals in it that i had got from people (laughs) and i heard this like hissing sound i'm like what is that and I like look and it's like and someone had forgotten to take the venting cap out of the top of this thing. No way. So it's this big <sighs> metal barrel that's literally been like filling with like with like because it's in like the hot burning sun. And so all these mm-hmm. hydrocarbons are volatile and they're all like vaporizing and like, expanding <laughs> in this thing. And I can see them bulging and hissing really loud. so like I like gingerly like get this tool out to open the venting cap, start opening it, open it, and it just blows the venting cap like probably got to be like 20 feet in the air like it just like (laughs) i didn't see it go and it took like a a solid like 10 seconds for it to come back down like (laughs) boy it's like so that was a moment it's like and that's what i want to bring up that escapism in music is fine escapism escapism as a form of any form of media like Mm -hmm. you move tv video games but it's like it's it's all good the issue is when you allow escapism to basically um prevent you from handling the things that are going on <laughs> from when instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing and like <laughs> your problems head on you then said no 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 no, i'm not going to do this assignment i'm going to watch seven it's like seven seasons of brooklyn nine nine in the night no i'm not going to it's like sit here and think about my it's like uh, my job and my future prospects instead i am going to watch this movie and start a film podcast so that mm-hmm. i don't have to think about things you know of course just, and just as an example <laughs> and can you can you can you stop accusing me i i did not listen to to watch i didn't watch seven seasons it was two it was just it was one two. night of weakness and <laughs> i had to get it out of the way you know get out of my life okay yeah um it was just two seasons it was a snowy day and uh, i didn't want to go outside okay and i think yeah. that was that, that was fine Okay, okay, okay. To start this conversation about escapism, I really just wanted to to really put forward the idea of sampling first. Because that's mm. really what this idea is with Baby uh, and his escapism. A lot of it is rooted in his sampling. So um, sampling is essentially the reuse. It's, a, it's the reuse of a sound recording in another song. And it's the foundation of hip-hop music. So typically you'd take you know drum fills or drum breaks from a 70s soul song or like R&B music. Um, and then you'd put it, you'd speed it up, or you'd add other instrumentals on top, and suddenly it's a beat for a 90s hip-hop song kind of thing, right? And mm-hmm. now more developed instrumentals and vocals are being used. Some people, like I know this J. Cole song uh, that came out in 2014 that 
he he sampled like George W. Bush or something like that giving a speech and he put that into the song and it was great and it like really helped deliver his message actually it was hilarious mm-hmm. um but what what they'll do is so um and it's really cool because we're gonna talk about uh some other concepts about uh like 80s music later on but uh Kanye West for example like a lot of what made his graduation album so good was that he would like he took the outro of Pretty Young Thing by Michael Jackson and he slowed it down and he added like filters and he pitched up the vocals and that ended up being Good Life on the graduation album. And that was, uh, I freaking love that song. And so it's the idea of just borrowing other ideas from other musicians and incorporating it. And then you would just cut them out of royalty for the song. And a lot of hip hop producers will use samples from jazz, like bass and uh, specifically bass and drums. Um, Yeah, so like sampling is huge in the industry, but it's really funny because Baby will he'll do to, he'll he'll literally sample things that have happened to him and then incorporate them in his life. Like um, I think Darling said in the elevator, she's like, "Oh yeah, it's the finest whining and dining of all the wines and dines in town." And yeah. he's he repeats verbatim. He he repeats the same thing back to Deborah when he's asking her out. And, yeah. you know, we kicked off the episode with, uh, you know, you and I are a team. There's mu- nothing more important than our friendship. And he's baby repeats the same thing back to, I forget he was saying it to in the heist, but he obviously he watches it the night before on Monsters <laughs> Day. Yeah. And then he's saying it to Kevin Spacey, I think. Yeah. And then Kevin Spacey calls him out on it at the end. And it's like, don't call Monsters Inc. to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like there's a degree of, not maybe not, it's not escapism, but it's like, him, he doesn't have to deal with things happening to him when he can just repeat, repeat sentences back and he doesn't actually have to think about what's happening. He doesn't have to think as much. He can just sample what's happening, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and escapism in music, I mean, he, he expresses himself through mixing music. So for like, you have that, that, <laughs> that scene where he, the, I'd say this is number four for me when he's sitting there and he makes, uh, was he slow? His the next. song was he slow yeah was he slow it was it was incredible and he he literally just takes a recording um and he adds all these instrumentals on it uh and he expresses himself but you can see that he through all of his his cassettes he's actually made a bunch of different mixes and then in the center he has of course he and all there's of course this one different color cassette which is mom in the center yeah. which the viewer is drawn to when we see that scene um and so a lot of, like, he's really just, there's escapism in, he doesn't want to deal with things that are happening. He doesn't want to deal with his past or his current crime life. So he can just sit down and make remixes all day or just like, you know, just mess around for an afternoon. He doesn't have to think, right? But he also yep. doesn't have to think in real conversation when he can just repeat back what he's already heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's definitely something interesting that, um, so something that we kind of talked about in this movie is, is that, about this is that he has, um, Baby has tinnitus. So he has like mm. the constant ringing in his ear. And the the pitch given by Kevin Spacey is that the idea is that he listens to music constantly to like tune out um, the, the ringing in his ear. The noise, yeah. yeah um, there was a, a podcast called um, Slash Filmcast um, and they did a thing on Baby Driver a long while ago when it mm. came out. And someone who has tinnitus wrote in to kind of describe this, it's like uh, this sensation and how it's like very well put forward here. This idea of like 
you never when you have tinnitus you don't know what silence sounds like it's not a thing that you're familiar with and so like it's not an option and so then music just becomes kind of a constant thing in your life and tinnitus makes it very difficult for people especially when they're trying to fall asleep um is like in order to be able to like so it's interesting to me that when he starts mixing um is like was he slow it's dark and then by the time he finishes it's it's morning and so Mm. might be a way that he is dealing with his insomnia of like not being able to really sleep that he just kind of like he is able to sample these parts of his life, use it as a form of expression, but then also it's like an activity he can do in order to be able to get himself through the nights, which uh, yeah. otherwise it would be quite difficult. Well, as a quick tangent to that, like you mentioned that there's nothing wrong. Uh, there's not, there's no such thing as quiet with someone with tinnitus. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it reminds me of that doc quote where he says, there's nothing wrong with a little quiet. Yeah, I was yeah. saying to John Bernthal's character who keeps <laughs> spouting off, he's like, why is he so quiet? There's nothing wrong with a little there's, quiet. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. And it's funny because it, for me, it, it works. It juxtaposes the idea that, yeah, like there is wrong. There's a lot wrong with quiet in yeah. someone with tinnitus, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I feel like there was something else that Edgar Wright was trying to say there. And I still don't know. But I thought it was just a really interesting quote to say in a movie that uses so much so much of it is built on the music and the audio yeah. and the not quiet scenes. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that actually for me, that sets up the really interesting point of this movie is like in terms of like music as escapism, um, but specifically like not just music, but musical. And it was this ah. idea that we kind of, that I came up with when I was watching it that um Baby doesn't want to be in a heist movie, but he is in a heist movie. He's in a crime movie. It has all the trappings. It has the getaway driver, the bank heists. It has the planning beforehand. It has the like, like meeting the team and like talking. I was like all this sort of stuff. Is like, mm. and it has the collateral. It has the damage to everyday people. Um, all things that are very prevalent in crime movies, and they are prevalent in his life. But he is actively trying to avoid the fact that he's in a crime movie. Um, he's like you can see that outside of the crime setup he has these sequences where he's like scoring his life to music and it looks and it's shot just like like a 1950s-esque musical um so he doesn't want to be in a crime movie he wants to be in a musical he wants Mm -hmm. these nice shots of him like going to get coffee to the harlem shuffle where it's like this like really long gliding camera in a musical this scene would be shot exactly the same but he would be singing um he wants his life to be like easy from the Commodores where he's like dancing around. This would be like his I want song in a musical where he would be like singing to the audience. This is what I want out of my life. I want to get yeah. out of here and I want to go into all these things. It would be like him dancing when he's setting up the peanut butter sandwich for Joe. Like those, all those moments <laughs> are like deliberate like yeah. callbacks to musicals. And their thing is like, and is what he wants. That's what he wants. And he like, scores his life almost as a way of like convincing himself that he's not in a crime movie he's in these other ones there are moments during the crime heist where you can see him like really get into the music hardcore so that he doesn't have to deal with the fact that this his actions are causing damage there's in the very first heist when john ham's shotguns start going (laughs) off and the people like freaking out in the bank you can see it's bothering him but then he's like instead of like doing something about it (laughs) just like doubles down on the song that he's listening to there's a scene in the second heist where they're going to go beat the crap out of this guard so he literally pulls the car forward so he can't see them beating up the guard from because of this hedge that's in the way and then when they're done he backs up 
and all the while he's singing to his music. And so it's this idea that he's like using the music to deny the fact that he's in a crime movie, trying to lie to himself that he's in a musical. And this yeah. actually shows the most in the like black and white sequence was like where he's having a dream where him and this, his romantic interest played by Lily James, she's waiting for him in front of this like old style, like American graffiti esque car. <laughs> and it's like, and he's dressed like freaking like a, it's like John Travolta from Greece. And yeah, like, it's yeah. like, they're going to go out and it's, and it's like this like, kind of like this idea of like, here's the, the, this is the movie he wants to be in. This is what he wants to be doing with his life. He wants to be doing this music. He wants to be doing all this sort of stuff. Yep. And it's not until the end of the movie, when his iPods are destroyed, his eardrums have been blown out by gunshots right beside him. There's no more music for him to fall back on. And then finally, they're like cornered by the cops. And Lily James's character looks like she's about to gun it, um, taking us down like a very dark Bonnie and Clyde moment, most yeah. likely. <laughs> where the two of them would end up getting be would probably be shot to death. But he takes the keys out of the car and basically says, you don't belong in this world, admitting to himself finally that he's a part of this world. He's in a crime movie. And then all of this music that he was using to try and escape from that fact, he can't rely on that anymore. He has to give himself up. He has to face the music and he has to face the fact that he has to finish the crime movie. The crime mm-hmm. movie has to finish. And then it's only after the crime movie finishes, he goes to jail. He does his five years with good behavior. Finally, he gets out of jail. And there's Lily James in black and white waiting with a car. And then it slowly changes to color. Yeah. And as as he moves towards the car, there's a rainbow in the background. It's like hearkening back to a Dolly Parton quote that was said to him by a bank teller. was the, it's like, nobody everybody wants happiness. Nobody wants pain. But you can't have a rainbow without a little rain. And it's this idea that like... (laughs) finished the crime movie now he can go and have his musical he can have his musical now (laughs) yeah (laughs) and see when i first watched that i i thought he was still dreaming like i Mm. still when i was watching that i was i thought he was still caught up in his fantasy and in his wants that she wasn't actually waiting for them i was a little more pessimistic i was like (laughs) She no, she was. She's not waiting five years for him. She she just met this guy, like, and yeah, we can, we can come back to that in, in a second. This is like yeah. about the movie and its and its validity and realism. Oh yeah, but um, I just yeah, like the fact that he's the every scene, and even in the the soundtrack itself, like you have really fast. Um, e- even in the score, it almost alternates songs in terms of tempo and pace between heist movie and uh, like the musical that you're talking about and what and hi- like him singing and, and being like pretty gleeful, right? Yep. And um, even the score itself shows this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in his life. And he can't, he's fighting the entire time to get out. And even just in the song choices, you can see that, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm happy that in the in the movie he actually did. I didn't think he was gonna do it, but he actually did sing a bit in the diner. Uh, Deborah got does, him to yeah. sing. <laughs> Deborah always looked like Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny because like him there in that moment, like singing into that thing, you can see how uncomfortable he is, as opposed to like oh, when yeah. he's walking down the street and mouthing to like other music and just like giving it his all. <laughs> oh, dude, man, that's me too. I oh yeah, I love mouthing. I love mouthing 
in the car or when I'm walking, but like, yeah, I'll sing in the shower and stuff. Sure. But the second that I'm, you know, a bunch of people in the car and everyone's singing, I just pipe down a bit. <laughs> Which is I would, hilarious because I yeah. have watched you scream the lyrics to Killing in the Name. <laughs> yeah. audience filled with people who included your boss. And, <laughs> and I don't know if people know what the lyrics to Killing in the Name are, but I would suggest you go and listen to that song by Rage Against the Machine. And you will recognize during the major refrain at the end why it's hilarious to have Brett... <laughs> that song to uh, an audience that includes his boss and his parents (laughs) man i won't do what you tell me i'm sorry like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think there were other things that helped me out that night but yeah i was able you know i was able to escape through other means that night yeah yeah and and not even think about the fact that i was saying those lyrics to uh you know my boss and my parents and the audience (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's like, it was funny because when was like, so watching this movie is when I came, it was like for this time around, is when I came up with this idea about the musical versus the the, the heist movie. Yeah. Um, but it was also, it's like at this, when I was watching it and I remember the portion where he's mixing the song and stuff like that. <laughs> I mix question mark is like, is like, and what wondering is like how you found is like that process is like, because I know that you do your own is like mixing, obviously not on tape and not with yeah. like old, yeah. like, like but like, did you like? Did you recognize something about the process, like of like making like the music, like how like he kind of started with this idea, like did some distortion on it, then started mm-hmm. adding directly, like keys, drums, and then some like synth noises, and then the kind of like built up some, like a piece around it. Like, um, is it like familiar to you in terms of when you make your own music? <laughs> what well, when I watched that and you asked me about the process of it I, I had to go back and research a bit into what what he was doing like I, so in terms of mixing like the whole process actually looked very similar to the way that I do it where like you take a you start with your sample you start with your drum loop or like the, the vocals that you you record or the thing that you capture so like the other day I was working on this song and I, I really liked this guitar this guitar riff that Mm. that was in this track and so i just took literally half the bar and then slowed it right down pitched it down and suddenly it had this whole different feel to it and so you have your sample and then you you'll add the drums and then the bass in and then once you have that's like your foundation like the drums and bass are kind of like the foundation to everything and baby pretty much followed that whole process and then at the end he kind of added these little like these melodies and these um these scratches on top of it too and it actually followed the process that i would do quite uh exactly and the only difference was that i had i had never seen whatever he was using to actually make the sample in the first place like that white uh that, like that instrument that had the little card on it i had to go back and yeah <laughs> i had to see what that was because i'd never been exposed to that nowadays you just use your your laptop and your program and then you put the the audio file into the program and then you can do whatever you want to it using your computer uh, but he was using very analog uh instruments to do that yeah well it seems <laughs> like on the card he almost has like a like a like a magnetic strip along the one side where yes. he's like yeah. he's like brought something from the tape over yeah. like copied over onto it and then is able to like running through the machine he can actually like change how it runs through by like moving it back and forth to give it that kind of like record skip feel of like mixes exactly he could scratch it using the um 
it, yeah, he could scratch it using the magnetic strip, right? Yeah. Um, whereas in in the '90s or like it, in early hip hop, you would literally just take the the 45 like like the record, and then you could scratch it on the record player. Yeah. Or the like on the sampler, right? So yeah. um, it was really funny though, like just watching him do it, and but it followed the process uh, exactly how I would do it too. I really liked how the movie also just paid homage almost to sampling as a whole. So for example, you, there's a, a moment, it's another somewhat transition point, but you actually hear the melody to, you hear an instrumental that's kind of similar to the next episode by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. It's like, dun, mm. dun, 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 like that one. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's not actually the song. Like it's the, um, it's the original song that they sampled from, which was Dave McCallum's The Edge. And so I yeah. loved how they actually used the original songs that were sampled instead of the more mainstream songs. And it's another layer to this idea of sampling and mixing in, in the movie. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's the same thing with Harlem Shuffle, right? Like Harlem Shuffle starts with that kind of like big fanfare of trumpets, which I know from yeah. the song Jump Around. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Which starts with that same that same set of notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, is it, I think you're you're very right that it does. And it's like it's interesting to call it like a like the movie does do a lot of like mixing with lots of other elements besides just the music. And I think that would be something to get into uh, like in a second. But mm-hmm. and look, have is like uh, something else you want to talk about in terms of like escapism music it's like um do you want to move on to nostalgia absolutely yeah let's do it yeah so like nostalgia is like we talked a little about about it in the thor ragnarok episode this idea of like looking back and having kind of a a feeling of of re uh, of regret not even regret but of kind of like a longing for something else that that has come to pass you could definitely have like personal nostalgia which is prevalent heavily throughout this movie of like baby looking back on his life looking to his like his time before his mom like passed away and then you can also have the idea of like a collective nostalgia where we as a people can feel nostalgic for a time and a place that we never experienced but because we've seen it rendered so frequently on is like in certain types of media we can actually feel nostalgic for that thing or specifically for the feeling it gave it gave us as like that we associated with it mm-hmm. um and so what do you what do you think about how nostalgia is used in Baby Driver? Because like the, the soundtrack for sure is like not, there is no modern music to be found on it, really. It's like in it's like in terms of like there's nothing from 2017 it's like in it for sure. It's like a lot of it is what I think I refer to in the abstract as dad music. But it's yes. specifically <laughs> music from like the Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy-esque era, yeah. 70s and 80s. Well, I think it's really interesting that uh, and I was thinking about this. Uh, when I was writing some notes for nostalgia in that it's amazing how we can feel nostalgic for music that we didn't even grow up to, to experience. Like if anything, our parent, like when we watch guardians, like yep. it's actually a lot of times more nostalgic for her parents' generation because they well, actually yeah, it's, experienced it's, it's a for, lot of that, right? Exactly. It's for James Gunn's uh, is like, uh, and Edgar Wright's like a uh, John, like that's why they're using it. Right. Because that's it's yes. something for them. Yeah, but I think it's amazing how we can still feel because we've been exposed to media from from that era that we can we can still feel nostalgic for those kind of soundtracks and that kind of style. I mean, like, yeah, w- w- with Thor Ragnarok, yeah, like the the soundtrack, but even the the logo itself kind of look like looks like an eighties like almost an eighties video game logo from Thor yeah. Ragnarok from the front, and it worked really well with Guardians. And I know that they they want to approach use the same approach with this movie um but i think 
I think nostalgia and like points to Edgar Wright for releasing it because I think it was another thing about the successes of this, of this movie was that it was released at the right time and that I think right. our generation as a whole is really feeling longing for this like nostalgia almost like because the world's a great place right now don't get me wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> right but like we you see this happening with um like our whole it was a perfect time for Edgar right because yeah I think a lot of us are feeling nostalgic for other times in that with music you know recent albums by by the weekend and Dua Lipa have been clearly you know influenced by by 80s synth pop and like michael jackson sort of instrumentals and they've been really well received in the main in mainstream music and yeah they have modern production elements to them but like you could have played it back in early 80s and they would have been hits back then right and yeah Childish Gambino released Awaken My Love, which is mm-hmm. a classic 70s funk and soul and R&B uh, mesh album. And that has roots from like Parliament Funkadelic and Prince and Rick James and all those guys. And so I think it's really interesting that not only uh, film, but music, every like just art as a whole is feeling very nostalgic these days. And in Baby, you can see it. You can see it with... <laughs> And we were going to get back to the ending, how like, yeah, he's, you've got this uh, in his musical, you've got the black and white kind of nostalgic feel. And then mm. it pans to the, to, to the, the present and he's getting what he wants, but there's so many, cause baby, I mean, his life's like his whole life. I feel like he is, he didn't have the best, we don't know much about his childhood, but I feel like he clearly, you know, longs and misses for his parents. And he, he's mm-hmm. longing for a time where he, he didn't have tinnitus and he had a more stable childhood and all that. And like th- yeah. his whole life is almost nostalgic that way. And so not only by the soundtrack and the execution of this film, but just his life, uh, he clearly, if I was him, I'd feel nostalgic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're a hundred percent right there. It's like, uh, I wrote a note when I was writing this about kind of like the, it's like Edgar Wright's a, a British director, but I think he's really like tapped into this kind of like American collective nostalgia for the 1950s, um, mm-hmm. specifically uh, for for white people in the 1950s. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a very strange thing that is felt throughout America, but I think also up here in Canada that for a lot of like it's like um, very like white privileged individuals who are maybe having a tough time right now, mm-hmm. there is this like unrealistic like feeling of like that in the olden days it was better like 1950s yeah. 60s 70s 80s like those things like those were like art like is like the kind of like the best time to be around um and the music from that time was supposedly the best and it's the reason why like when we watch like a christmas story um i'm not sure if you know that one but it's the oh. one with like the, yeah it's like it's classic a great- yeah you gotta put your <laughs> eye out with that but it's set in the 1950s and like it- it is it is depicting a family and a world that i've never known but when i see it I feel like a warmth associated with it. Yeah. The same thing when you see that image of Lily James standing beside that car. The the car. Oh yeah. Like something about that, like, like kind of like hits you at like, um, almost a commercialized pop art (laughs) sensibility. Like remember all like old, what those old advertisements were trying to sell in the 1950s, like that this is the American dream. Like that's what they're saying and it's yeah. permeated us now that we're like we look at it and we're like yeah that's what we want and you can see that baby has that same mentality like in his head 
that would be the ideal. Um, maybe Definitely. this is a good time to talk a little bit about Lily James and the romance in this is it in this movie. Sure. Um, yeah. Lily James plays Deborah, uh, who is a waitress. Is like um that works at a diner that Baby's mother used to work as they work at. So, if you're talking about nostalgia for him, was like for a time before he had tinnitus, this he keeps going to this diner, which is a 1950s esque diner, yeah. as is like as some sort of like callback to like his mom used to be here. This is like something that he remembers from his childhood, and then he falls in love with this woman who is also now a waitress there, who also sings very well. Um, favorably we can look at this as as like him kind of like she reminds him of like a happy time in his life unfavorably you can get into the oedipus of it all but we're not gonna yes go. <laughs> yeah, we can steer away from that <laughs> exactly steer point get off that exit ramp right there no yeah, don't yeah. Anyway. um <laughs> what do you think of lily of the romance in this of lily james's performance and of like all this sort of stuff because um like, this is another element of the movie that has kind of like gained a little bit of criticism from people um, yes yeah, I'm looking back on my life and looking back on just the average male or fe- like the average experience of someone going into yeah. a diner and you know like th- th- like those those kind of stories are so like they just don't exist now kind of thing like like you don't no. meet people at the diner you don't um, if you go up to someone or if you like stare at someone for a long like. A little too long or something they're not gonna like look back at you and sing or anything you're gonna be <laughs> they're, they're you're like you're, you're gonna lose your shot you know like and it's um in terms of the love and romance like yeah they i think baby because in terms of the their relationship what kind of relationship do they have i guess i would ask of you um they they clearly support each other and they clearly mm. would do some pretty, pretty, I wouldn't say great, um, some pretty substantial things for one another. <laughs> <laughs> some pretty things for <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but like, in terms of, you know, you're, they're, they're both caught up in this high of, yeah, I want to, I want to go up and I want to drive with no plan, with this great soundtrack, and it sounds great, but like, how long would that last? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like the, it's like the, the, um, the Jack and Rose situation on the Titanic. It's like how, like how if long, they got off, <laughs> if they had got off together, how long would that actually have lasted? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have I have a lot of thoughts about this this romance. It's like um, some of them are positive. Um, it's like so okay. um, so let's 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 look at it this way. First of all, I think Lily James is amazing. I, I yes. love her as an actress. It's like um. Yeah. But she is one of those actresses um, that unfortunately has that unfor- that really thankless role of taking a poorly or like or like sparsely written female character and breathing life into it. Like without her performance, this character I feel is just dead on arrival. There is yeah. nothing on page that um, that really screams to me like, oh, this is a fully fledged person with her own agency. Right. It's really only Lily James that brings that that um, to it. So like their their romance, as you said, like it feels very like you know that doesn't happen anymore. Like yeah, you don't go into it as like a pl- person's place of work and start hitting on them and expect that to go over well. <laughs> if you are one of the people who expects that to happen, stop doing it. It's don't not do going it. to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the is like 
but it's like it's very cinematic it's very hollywood it's very old school once again 1950s musical Mm -hmm. of like a 1950s diner he meets this girl at a waitress they have an immediate connection they go off it's like and then it's like and what you said like they support each other i would argue that she supports him i don't know what the heck is going on in her life so i don't know how he's is like he's able to support her really um but she keeps, she says this line and he repeats it back to her. And I think I even put it into the um, the intro, which is what you said is like, I just want to get is like turn right onto Highway 20 with a <laughs> car I can't afford and a plan I don't have. And it's just nothing yeah. but me, the road and my music. That line feels so written, like as a <laughs> like, as a, like as how people speak, you and I have been speaking a lot for the last little while and you can tell the difference between when i'm speaking as i am right now and when i was reading the premise for the movie which i had obviously written right um, yeah it's like when she says that it just feels so very written and it reminded me i had this flashback to a similar sequence a meet cute between tobin mcguire's peter parker in the 2004 <laughs> spider-man and mary jane where as oh my god you're- taller than you look and he says i hunt and she says don't and i'm like that's so written so <laughs> unreasonably written of a thing no one would say that and if they did they would immediately like walk away going that sounded stupid why yeah. did i say <laughs> but yeah i bring this up because I recently found out that Sam Raimi, who is the director and is like of Spider-Man, wanted the romance in Spider-Man to feel like an old school 1950s movie of like a romance mm. that where everyone's saying something and it feels scripted. It feels cinematic. It mm-hmm. feels very Hollywood. It's like and so they're I- saying the perfect thing. At the, okay, not even the perfect thing, but they're not. There's no like humility. There's no awkwardness almost between like they're just, they're just going back and forth back and forth and like what kind of conversation actually happens like that and you you see yeah. that in 50s movies where the guy says the right thing at the right time and it's like he is the knight in shining armor and it's all perfect and yeah it really does call back to that almost yeah so like if it's like if i'm once again it's like harping on my theory of the 1950s musical versus the, the crime heist the romance falls very clearly into that feeling of like an old school movie with very written dialogue that sounds that sounds good that would read better um and like and so like that's what i kind of like i give the romance a pass at times because i feel like it's fitting into this idea of the two genres colliding and not mixing well Mm -hmm. Um, i feel like it's intentional however it's also one of those i've did this in the irishman too i have to stop trying to make excuses for male directors who give like who like uh hang their like female their female characters yeah, yeah it's like because yeah. it's easy like, it's easy to say like you know oh it's supposed to be like that's why they made it in the 1950s i'm like yeah but there's a reason we don't make movies the way that we did in the 1950s <laughs> that was backwards <laughs> so right, we should right. you know if of all the things that were scripted in the in terms of the writing and th- those lines i gotta say i have a, I have a soft spot for uh what was it oh you might are you in a pink you must be in a pink and glittery mood i am now ipod i couldn't yeah this is perfect <laughs> that was good is like i really liked is like uh, her line when she, she finds out his name his name is baby b-a-b-y baby it's mm. like well you all beat every damn song is about you <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 
was cute. I was like, I like yeah. that. <laughs> Which is what what made me think of Led Zeppelin. I was like, man, yeah. yes, like half their songs have baby in it, and I, I just couldn't yeah. believe that they didn't put them in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember talking to a person who was the lead singer for a rock band that had um, recently transitioned to being a Christian rock band. <laughs> I was asking him, was like, that must be hard. Then you have to rewrite all your songs. He's like, kind of. You just replaced the word baby with Jesus and it works pretty well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 it's pretty great. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah. So do you have anything more you'd like to say on nostalgia? Yeah, I think you made an interesting point about it's all also about just perspective too. Yeah, the being nostalgic for those times is great for for us, like like a lot of the predominantly white population. But you got to remember that. Yeah, looking back on it and just acknowledging that people aren't very nostalgic for those times. No, it's like it's <laughs> like make America great again. Like yeah. great for. When was it great? Yeah. When when was it great for everyone? The answer is yeah. never. It was never great for it everyone. It's still great. like And people yeah, people are like, "Oh, the world's so messed up now." The world is always messed up. It's always yeah. been like in one way shape or form. It's always been uh it's never it's never perfect. But um yeah. I, I think it's just really interesting. Yeah, just overall our our whole generation um being being drawn to these nostalgic works and yeah. I'm not sure where it's going to go from here. Like I don't know if you know, I'm thinking about the beats that I'm going to be writing and thinking about what I want to do next. And yeah, are people going to start really getting into um, like 90s alternative rock again? Are people going mm. to look into early 2000s stuff? Is that going to make a resurgence soon? Um, yeah. Do these things come back in waves? And what what, what makes people uh, as consumers, what, what do we, like, when we listen to n- nostalgic works and we go for it, are we just trying to, are we using that as escapism for the present time as well? Music or film as escapism as well, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, but I, yeah, I definitely think about that in terms of, yeah, where art's going and where, um, what, what people are going to start to make next. Cause yeah, it, bl- it just blew my mind when the weekends album came out and it did so well. And it was just a yeah. lot of eighties, uh, michael jackson instrumentals right <laughs> yeah even like uh was it the the band i think i mentioned this in the thor ragnarok episode like the band muse that i really like they had oh, a, yeah. an album came out simulation theory that where they had like literally like their music video for one of their thong- songs called thought contagion was actually like a michael jackson-esque dance video yeah similar to thriller um but then you was, have you ever heard the band gunship before i've heard of them yeah yeah so they're like very much in that kind of like outrun um like 80s retro is yeah. like a setup yeah. and i'm just i'm really here for it right now but it does make me wonder sometimes like there's a rule of like 30 it's supposed to be like 30 years um is the idea that every 30 years um what was what was happening 30 years ago kind of like resurges in the media so like my question is what's gonna happen in 30 years from now like is it just gonna is it gonna be like oh yeah the 2010s like what new music what did, did we bring? <laughs> yeah is yeah like, what was just like 80s crap again <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And I, I mean, yeah, going off of that, yeah, like if now we're just recycling older works, yeah, what, what new developments and advances have been made in music and in film that could be recycled later on? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it makes you wonder, is it? And I think it actually brings us nicely into our next 
mm -hmm. um, discussion topic, yeah. which is this idea of like Edgar Wright as a, a mixture of genre. Um, so we talked about how there's a lot of mixing that goes on. In this is like his movie, both physically on screen in terms of the musical mixing that baby does, as well as kind of like mixing is like uh, playing with the mix for the different audio visual aspects. But Edgar Wright before this movie has been known exclusively to like play with genre tropes. Um, with Shaun of the Dead, he played with the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Hot Fuzz was the police procedural and the world's end was like the sci-fi kind of body snatchers set up. And then you have like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is just like a hodgepodge of different video game and nerd culture aesthetic, um, all kind of like wrapped into one. His usual setup for those movies was kind of like they were comedies and they were comedic because you were taking either characters that didn't belong in the genre or characters that belonged in the genre placed into a setting that didn't belong there and then mm -hmm. kind of like exploring it. Yes. Um, yeah. Hot Fuzz is they, a perfect example of that, right? Yes. Hot Fuzz <laughs> is a perfect example of that because you just watched a person who was made for a police procedural <laughs> drama get shoved into some like, backwater UK <laughs> like. Yeah nonsense yeah and then trying to like deal with that as opposed to Shaun of the dead which is the opposite of like a, a very common zombie apocalypse setting featuring two of the most unlikely protagonists um <laughs> go forward but in baby driver it's an interesting because this movie isn't a comedy first and foremost mm -hmm. like it's it has comedic elements for sure but it is of of edgar wright's movies i would say this is the one that's the most entrenched in its genre yes like it is it is very much like a crime movie um there's like things are played straight that in almost every other edgar wright movie would be played for laughs yeah. there's a moment where near the very beginning when you're first discovering that um baby is actually in like in debt to kevin spacey when it's like kevin spacey takes the money from him and just hands him a single bill and he says like okay one more job and i'm done and then kevin spacey drives away and as he drives the car moves to reveal baby standing there with this like weird, like awkward, like uh, like kind of supposed <laughs> to be kind of like cinematic stand kind of glaring <laughs> off in like the, like, and he's like, it's slow push in. And I'm like, this is like, no, this would not survive an usual Edgar Wright movie. Like you wouldn't do something no. like this with making some sort of like without undercutting it in some way. Um, and so I looked at that as like when I was watching it through and I was kind of the first time I threw I was kind of disappointed because, you know, you love I love Hot Fuzz. I love how oh, yeah. like they give like the ridiculous like snap cuts procedural like intensity to like the police officer <laughs> writing up arrest reports for people who were you know, like publicly drunk. Yeah, I was like, like, a, oh, a guy with such talent and now he's reduced yeah. to this. Right. Oh, exactly. It's, yeah. it's just great. So when I see these like tropes played straight. Um, and they're like very tried and true, like a hundred times, like even the backstory, like the tragic backstory is like a very tried and true trope. Yeah. It's like, I felt like a little bit like unhappy the first time, but now that I have this new idea of the musicals versus the, is like the, um, the heist film, I can kind of see this as kind of like Edgar Wright shoving two different movies together. And then the interesting thing is watching how they fight with each other as they move right. through. Quick, quick aside. I have a question if we're going to put this through the, the lens of hot fuzz, yeah. what kind of who, <laughs> if you wanted to flip it on its head of all the characters in baby driver and you wanted to, to, to reverse it, who would have been the driver? Would you have made like Joe the driver or would you have made like, <laughs> like how would you have flipped it? <laughs> how would I flipped it? And like, oh, so that's an interesting idea. So like, mm -hmm. it's like, um, so I think in some ways having baby as the, the driver is like, is kind of like interesting because he is, 
like he he's not what you consider as like a stereotypical criminal right um so like that aspect kind of works that it's checks more, out for you yeah yeah that, that's checks out for me it's more the idea that this character like that you have those moments that are played straight with tropes that i just feel that that feel kind of like and not i don't want to say lazy because nothing in this movie is lazy it's like um <laughs> but like it's one of those things that like if when you're writing like if you're creatively writing and you like can put in like a phrase that like everyone says all the time and you just kind of plop it in like it feels like kind of easy he's like you it's right. like you can do this because it's normal it's like everyone no one will bat an eyelash at it if you it's like oh like someone says like we need he's like what are we gonna do about this and then someone responds like we'll cross that bridge when we get to it like oh yeah, yeah. a million and a half times right it takes yeah. not like it just like is at the tip of your tongue you can pull it out of the air easy well similar to, like is like related things where like you need someone is like what why is this person downtrodden why are they unhappy you're like okay well they their mom died pull out of the air easy yep. trope it's like mm-hmm. done it's like um it's, it's like it's not to say that this movie is lazy in any way but to say that simply like relying on those genre tropes without having that like writing need to like kind of undercut them or yeah. play them in a weird way means that there were moments in baby driver the first time through where you can just kind of feel like I feel like we're just going through the motions here to get through to the next like, yeah. cool like ice scene. Yeah, I wonder how I would have perceived the movie, and you, you can comment on this too. But I wonder how the movie would have felt if there was no origin story, if we didn't have that scene that explained mm. everything about why Baby does what he does, and if we were just left to think about that on our own and hypothesize like i wonder if that would have improved things or made it worse him not having that origin story i think what you would have had there is the movie drive um <laughs> have you seen, have you seen the movie drive uh, a, a, a little while ago yeah yeah so speaking of movies that have like an 80s like an 80s synth aesthetic like mm. drive like it literally has like it's it's logo it's like its title is in like fuchsia purple like cursive like yes. uh, like as a la night of the roxbury um it's, it's like its soundtrack is all like 80s synth and it's about a like pretty much nonverbal driver <laughs> who is a getaway driver yeah. who then falls in love with the girl is like and then makes some very bad decisions to try to get out of the life and uh ends up inadvertently ruining this woman's life and so <laughs> that was ryan gosling right it was ryan gosling yeah, yeah, it's yeah like, okay. but, but you, you never get a backstory on him you don't really right. know where he came from you don't know why he's the way he is you don't know why he's pretty much nonverbal, yeah. or like is like all that sort of setup is like and um the movie does a lot to like let you sit in these moments of silence with him so you have to sit there and kind of stare at him and wonder why why yeah. are you like that yeah now I don't want Baby Driver to be Drive because Drive is slow. Like, <laughs> like, ironically, for how fast he drives, the movie itself is paced incredibly slowly, and I enjoy it. But it's not for everybody. It is not the movie that Edgar Wright set out to make, and I don't think it should have been. But you bring up an interesting point of like, what would his, what would the movie have been without those kind of more like clear cut, yeah. mm-hmm. heist, heist tropes? Yeah, and, um, I can't help but feel like it would have been more like the movie Drive. Yeah, yeah. Um... I had an idea when I was when I was driving back uh, to Toronto, and I really wanted to bring this up in terms of thematic and genre mixing. And it's not exactly mm. about uh, Edgar, like specifically Edgar Wright's works, but like so w- when you sample something, like mm. when you sample an '80s, like a '70s '80s soul uh, piece, it is a completely different mood than like what you would expect for a 
90s 2000s hip-hop song right hip-hop yeah. is a, like it's a lot more upbeat and it's like a, you wouldn't even it, uh, the whole point of sampling is that you actually take the idea and you you change it so much that it's unrecognizable in the context of the new instrumental and lyrics that are on top of it right right you, you wouldn't even be able to hear where it came from if that if a, yeah. like a, a good sampler would do that um and I, I was really thinking about the idea of like of mixing these genres where you guys were talking about, and I think Sean made a really good point in Thor Ragnar. I'm going to keep hearkening back to this podcast because I, like, I just, I, I just came up with, like, with, with the whole nostalgic feel to the film. And I, I just really liked how um, humility was brought, brought up for Thor Ragnarok, mm. right? That was a big yeah. piece of it. And I think there's something to be said about genre or thematic mixing for these, for that successful movie where you had all these like you had the story, you had the character, you had all like this world that was built for Thor, right? Mm, you had this yeah. completely like you had you had everything built up. It's like, what are you gonna do? Well, like yeah, the second movie tanked, and like, what are you gonna do with this world and like this set of characters, right? Well, yeah. they brought on a whole new director who introduced like new comedic tones, and they quote sampled this one concept this one idea humiliation and they put Thor yeah. in this this new uh, they put that in the context of the world and which completely changed the reception and like the style of the movie and like us being able to re relate to Thor we just added we just sampled that one idea and put it in and it completely changed the movie and I loved how they did that and it made me think of you know shuffling genres and and themes around and how it can produce a whole new product by doing that in terms of films yeah yeah that's a really good point and it's funny for me because i feel like edgar wright um so we we also talked a little bit about this idea of like the thematic mix so the idea yeah. that like director has usually like some handful of themes that they're really interested in like especially auteur directors like martin scorsese or something like that mm. like he has like his like for like what is it? It's like crime, violence, masculinity, and Catholicism. And those, like, everything is, like, those four. Like, and sometimes he turns up the volume on the Catholicism, like, yep. like, in silence. Sometimes that's turned, like, pretty far down. And instead, it's, like, the crime and violence aspect, like, in The Irishman. Sometimes it's really the violence and masculinity, like, in Raging Bull. It's just, like, it's a key, but it's, like, it's all those four kind of, like, and he's playing with the dials, figuring out, like, how to best bring these in. Um, I was trying to think of what Edgar Wright's are. Um, in terms of like, what is he not just necessarily sampling from, from, from but from his own discography, his own <laughs> standing themes yeah. that he brings to each project. Like, what are the ones that we see here? And like the most obvious one is like the kind of like classic interaction slash veneration of media, which like mm -hmm. in Hot Fuzz, you have like how it's an action movie. And in it, there's a character played by Nick Frost who watches action movies religiously and is like desperately trying to reproduce action movie tropes and genres into his own life, which finally gets to happen in the third act when they have like the big, huge, like Michael, Bay Michael Bay-esque rotating, it's like a rotation around them and the point break, like shooting his gun off into the air and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And the John Woo, like shoot, like throwing yourself through the air in slow motion with dual pistols. Like, um, so like, that's like something from hot fuzz that he's like, and then you can see that in baby driver as well, in terms of how, we interact with music how we interact with our media um and like that kind of is like how we let is like our uh, our sampling of media inter like interfere with our like our everyday yeah. lives and like influence us yeah there's like the intersection there 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but his other major, I think his like probably biggest theme, and it's the one that you can see in every one of his movies that I've seen so far, is the idea of like arrested development. The idea of a person <laughs> who basically stopped maturing at a certain mm-hmm. point and has now been like living a good chunk of time in some sort of purgatory where like between the life, the trajectory he was on before and mm-hmm. the kind of like life that he should be leading and he's just like kind of living in this arrested state. Like, yeah, like they're, they're, they're stuck and they're trying, the whole movie is like them trying to get out of this new predicament or the situation that they're in that's yeah. stopping their development, right? And like with, you see that with Scott Pilgrim where he has to defeat all the exes in order to to be with um uh to be with his girlfriend and he has all yeah. these these like he's yeah scott's stuck and he needs to achieve these objectives and get to get through to the next spot but like the whole movie is him just stuck right yeah well it's funny because mm-hmm. it's it's him stuck like did you look at it, he's like 22 years old he's dating a <laughs> high schooler at the beginning is like she like he shows her his apartment and she's like okay was it and he's like but i can show you where i grew up she's like sure and he like points across the road he's like yeah that's where i grew up <laughs> so it's like the idea that he mm-hmm. moved out of his parents place into his friend's apartment yeah not paying rent there and then yeah. he is like, he's not interested in the band he's a part of he's like he's kind of like dating a smattering of people but the whole purpose of Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the movie is not that he gets the girl at the end is that he learns some self-respect and decides that he has to move on with his life. Right. More. It's the same John of the dead where the entire thing of him is that he's in this rut and through the zombie apocalypse, he breaks out to recognize that he needs to move past this kind of like adolescence that he's been trapped in. Same with Nick Frost's character in hot fuzz is like Mm -hmm. same with the characters in world's end and it's the same with Baby and Baby Driver. He is a person who, like you said, he is nostalgic for a time before all of this bad stuff happened. Every part of his life, every aspect of his aesthetic, of his life or whatnot, is basically on hold from like that crash. He listens yeah. to music all the time because it's like on iPods because he got an iPod was the last gift he got from his mother. Is like and she was into music. He eats at this diner all the time because that's where his mother used to work. He is like involved in this like crime life because afterwards he boosted a car. Is like and then from that he just kind of got stuck in this aspect. Yeah, there's the moment where he tries to pull out and he goes to get a job at Goodfellas Pizza, which is a fun reference to it's like uh, the movie the Martin Scorsese movie Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. He's like he seems like he's getting on with his life. He's moving forward, and then but he keeps getting pulled back in. Yeah. to this kind of like arrested state, the state of purgatory where he's not doing what he wants and he's not on the trajectory he was before. He's just stationary. And I, I feel like that is like really Edgar Wright's main theme and it's what he samples over and over again. It shows up yeah. in everything. Um, two, two ideas there. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was really, even just his vocabulary and the way Baby talks, it does show that he's he's stunted and, and like he's he hasn't, I'm, I'm not sure if they exactly say it in the movie, but... I mean, he probably he probably dropped out of school. Like he, I'm not sure if he he finished any of that kind of education. But like, there were some small gaps where you know he said tracks instead of T Rex, and like yeah. you know, um, like and and even through his sampling in situations that he doesn't know how to get out of or he can't like use use words and form sentences to actually of his own, he has to sample them because he doesn't he can't he doesn't know any better. Right. Yeah. And like emotionally, in terms of like emotional intelligence, he's kind of uh, he's arrested in that state. Um, yeah. 
I mean, his name's Baby. He's a baby, yeah, right? Like, like exactly. even in his name, right? Um, but but my the second thing I wanted to mention is in terms of Edgar Wright. Like, is, is there anything we know about? I, I don't know very much about him, like him as a uh, like his personal life or anything like that. But I wonder what it is about Edgar Wright that, or anything in his life that has, because typically it's like their someone's personal life that comes out in their art. And I wonder if mm. there's anything that in his life that has led to him going back to constantly sampling this idea of arrested development and being stuck? It's a good question. And it's like kind of what um, defines the idea of like an auteur of like a, as like an act, like a, a director with a vision and a voice sort of thing. <laughs> um, he um, is like, I don't know much about his life. I know that actually when he was a kid, he did have tinnitus. That was a thing that he had when he was younger. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. That's interesting. And, uh, and I do know that he is like kind of a, like a, a big, like, like movie nerd is like really into that, but yeah. he's apparently like a very well-rounded, collaborative, nice, nice gent. Um, so I don't know if he knows people like this, if he was like this at one point, but it does seem to be an idea he comes back to a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what he's going to do next. I don't know what his next uh, next movies are going to be, but it's like it would be interesting to see if this kind of idea of a person stuck in their own like their purgatory of their own arrested development sticks around. Yeah. Yeah. And even just to your point about him as a movie nerd, like I read that he, cause he, he studies and he masters these genres before he actually yep. writes to them himself. So he'll, he'll, he'd watch hundreds of movies in the genre just to see exactly how all these movies play out, how the story arcs go and how to flip it on its head. And so he's yeah. so passionate about filmmaking and understanding that. And that's one of the reasons why earlier I said, like, it seems like he, he makes movies that are sometimes, yeah, they're like almost for other filmmakers because he studied the craft so much and he's so into it that, um, that he like that he'll be able to flip it on its head and kind of write his own rules. Agreed. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's like he's um he's a great director. He's done a lot of great work. Is like his time is like spent in like the like in the different the the trenches of many different genres will hopefully pay off as he like moves forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to see what he does next, for sure. Me too. Is there any, yeah. I, I, I don't know, is there any, I guess, leaks or any any buzz about the movie he's going to make or not? Yeah, I think he's got like a title and everything. I just don't remember what it is. <laughs> um, the magic of editing, once again, Felicity James, take this out. We will look and see what his next movie is going to be. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, so Edgar Wright new movie, Last Night in Soho. Um, yeah, but, yeah, it looks like, yeah, a, uh, April 23rd, 2021. Not bad. Not bad at all. Not too far away. Wow. So all I had to say, yeah, I think that was that was it. Um, above all, yeah, this all the small details. And uh, yeah, I just want to bring back the fact that he started with the soundtrack and just edited and cut everything together exactly you know yeah there, there are some uh there's the, the first hour is just is brilliant and I, i'm i could rewatch it like once a week i'm not not on the same level as sean and uh thor ragnarok <laughs> no one <laughs> but <laughs> you know like yeah i could just all those small details that you threw in just like yeah i, I absolutely love it um yeah Oh, one last thing before we move on. You said earlier that 
you know, we can all appreciate that making movies is quite difficult, right? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's pretty hard. You got to bring people together, got to have the right production team. Have you ever tried to make a movie yourself? Me? Yeah. Oh no! He's like no. I'm. I was like um. I am a. Uh, like I am a. Uh, like a lover of movies, but I'm. I have often thought about like what position in like a movie crew that I would be best associated with. It would not mm. be a director. I would not yeah. be a good director. They have to make so many decisions. I remember Eddie Murphy was describing like the process of like being a director, and they're like, "Would you ever like to direct again?" And he's like, "No." Like they're just coming up and they're asking me about chairs and shit. And I'm like, I don't care about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, if I was going to be anything, I'd probably be a screenwriter. I think that would be yeah. my is like the the area that I would be best suited in. It's like yeah. Um, yeah. writing lines that sound good on the page, so then someone else can worry about how they sound too written, and yeah. then some thirty something asshole on a podcast can complain about it later. <laughs> <laughs> That's why media is made to be criticized by criticized by thirty year old podcasters exactly this that's, 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 that's the modern era of criticism that we have going on oh yeah before we before we move on i have the premise here for the last night in soho um, oh. a young girl who is passionate about fashion design mysteriously enters the 1960s where she encounters <laughs> idol a dazzling wannabe singer but 1960s london is not what it seems and time seems to fall apart with shady consequences so it seems to be doubling down on the nostalgia aspect for no sure. way wow we, we predicted it yeah Go as us. opposed it's like for the arrested development though it's like um hard is it hard to say could be could be we'll have to wait and see can we make a generalization that like all fashion designers are arrested no i'm kidding yeah <laughs> they are all in the state of arrested development yeah <laughs> oh that's awesome uh, nostalgia we got all right look at us go look at us, look at us. and i i thought i i didn't even i couldn't even be on a film podcast <laughs> such such a day of growth such a day of growth for Brett Kinrad. <laughs> All right. With that, I guess we'll move on to conclusion and finish this thing off. So conclusion as it sounds is like is the ending of a paper. It's like um usually the least important part, surprisingly. Most people don't is like read it. A lot of papers don't even write it. Um here what we're gonna be doing is basically putting in our final thoughts and then trying to give some sort of rating to Baby Driver. Now here at the Artinian Science Podcast, we find ratings is like rating movies with numerical values to be kind of um, ridiculous. How are you supposed to compare something like the wonder that is the Fast and the Furious franchise to something like a Grace Kelly era is like um <laughs> classic movie? Where where, do, where does Rear Window fall relative to is like Furious Seven or Six? I can't remember. Fast hmm. Eight. As I, I don't know. They're, they're titles are stupid. I take back what I said about it before not knowing the titles of things. It's like those, those, those titles are stupid. But you can't compare them numerically. Like, what are you going to do? So mm. instead, what we do here is we give the idea of a positive control and a negative control. The positive control is supposed to be an example of something that does 100% success in that thing. So this is the idea of what we mean by 100%. And then we give a negative control as the idea of something that does that thing very poorly it's zero percent success um so would you like to go first for what your positive and negative control are and then where baby driver falls in between that 100 and zero of course yeah yeah i think and it's a pretty easy guess i mean so i i'm marking this in terms of basically yeah the use my results section the use of the soundtrack and how it coheres with the plot the characters 
and how it really highlights it, it, it like it complements a lot of the, the moments that happen in the movie and so i mean just from the start i mean anything hans zimmer st- yep. scored in the last 10 years is is just amazing right like you know you have the dark knight um with the soundtrack and it's a little more it's not even as uh melodic or harmonic it's it really dives into the characters' minds and you you just get a sense of their persona through the music. Like the mm-hmm. the Joker theme is literally two notes played yeah. on just a bunch of different instruments. You know, like you, you kind of feel like something's about to happen. Um there's like there's a constant panning in the in the editing too, panning left and right. So to me, like um in terms of the stereo field, it feels it almost feels like he's everywhere at once and like right behind you and you just can't get away from him not even the physical being the joker but just like the idea of him too which is another theme from the movie right um the music really really communicates that in terms of the editing and yeah it's literally just two notes which is it is just fantastic um and i mean yeah i brought up pirates of the caribbean too right something as simple as the the three quarter, the three four time signature. It's like in, it's like one two three, one two three, one two three. That that theme song. It literally feels like a boat rocking back and forth, literally, um, yeah. in that theme song, right? And just like some some aspects of that, the opening scene that we talked about, where Jack's boat is <laughs> going down. So I, I give that like, I give those hundred percent. That that's the top yeah. end of my spectrum. Yeah, and. You, you think of how to do something and it's actually a lot harder to think of how not to do something. And yes. in terms of my rubric, I guess, and trying to figure it out, I, did, I couldn't even think of how to, how have people used music poorly in the past? And I can't, mm. I can go back to, to really old, like really older productions. Like, I mean, you know, Bugs Bunny was awesome and it has a sweet orchestra in the background, but no one uses an orchestra like just just like classical music to score their stuff anymore, you know? No. But I thought that'd be unfair given the times and stuff, right? But like something truly awful that I stumbled on <laughs> was a uh <laughs> it, it was it, I'd say it was it was still a film, you know, it was an advertisement actually. It was this Gatorade commercial and it was let me say that it was this athlete that was probably close to retiring or at least like past their prime almost. And like, they're just going around to restaurants and businesses, signing autographs for people. And there's like a lot of, a lot of laughing, but it's like this very melodramatic mood. And Frank Sinatra is just singing in the background. And I just got so depressed for this Gatorade commercial. And I'm thinking like, this guy's not going to be drinking Gatorade anymore. Like he has no need for it. Like why, why did they put this together? And maybe they were going for that nostalgic idea that we were talking about, right? Like maybe they were going yeah. for nostalgia, but that does not work for a Gatorade commercial. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, uh, so that was my 0%. <laughs> That's fair. Those are good. Those are good positive and negatives. <laughs> so where does baby driver fall then between zero and a hundred? Oh man. I, I would say given that a lot of the soundtrack was predetermined in terms like they couldn't create it themselves. It was a lot of the only thing I'll give is that, yeah, it was nostalgic and and the soundtrack was great, but it was a lot of pre-selected songs that they had to um, meld the film towards the soundtrack. But whereas with like the hundred percent, a lot of it was created 
with in conjunction with the film. And so I give I give Baby Driver just the fact that there were some created songs, but I, I think overall in terms of the the editing and like the the backbone of the soundtrack, I'd give it eighty five. Eighty five. Okay, that's 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 solid. Is um for me, I decided to go. Um, I actually changed my mind relative to when we had talked about it. Is like before. Mm. So I decided to change is like to go towards um the idea of well choreographed action sequences to music. So like action sequences that have been choreographed to music well. Um my hundred percenter is actually from the movie The Kingsman. Have you seen the Kingsman? Oh yeah. 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 There is a sequence that takes place in a church set to Leonard Skinner's Freebird. Um, it's a basically a ridiculous fight sequence where Colin Firth's character just like murders a bunch of like people in the church. Um, and it is, it is, it is long. It is choreographed to the music and is like, but it's like a choreography where that requires the actors to be doing things, the camera to be moving in like around and in between things. Mm. And all the while it's all like, you're like set, uh, set to Freebird. So a great example of like the way to take a popular existing song and then mold your like movie to it. And then the negative control for a zero percenter in terms of doing this is Ben Affleck's Daredevil from is like the early 2000s um, where there is a fight scene in the bar where Daredevil takes out a bunch of people to a Nickelback song. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and tell you all is like that Nickelback is terrible um some of you believe that some of you don't it's like i don't really know what i believe i haven't listened to a lot uh, enough of nickelback to really make a is like a solid choice mm. all i can say is that the fight scene in this and its setting to this song is really just uninspired and <laughs> earns it it's zero percent or is like uh without without contest um and given those two extremes i would put baby driver probably at a 92 for okay. his it is crazy the stuff that they do in this movie in terms of the fights, the the car sequences, the foot chase, even the yeah. gun like the gun fights and how they choreograph it to you know what I know I am gonna put ninety seven. I'll give another five percent. I'm gonna pull a cinema wins and just it's like <laughs> I just started talking about it and I liked it more. So we're we're bumping it up to ninety seven here. <laughs> it like changed their mind mid second. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> so you have any last words on baby driver before we uh sign off on this lovely sunday evening i mean all i can say is that i was driving i put i was driving through montreal and i couldn't have thought i couldn't have picked a better song than bell bottoms it was involuntary my foot just pushed down on the gas and i started speeding and in terms of that selection, Edgar Wright couldn't have done a better job than that opening, that opening sequence with the editing. And if anyone hasn't watched Baby Driver, and you, we've given everything else away, and even though we've we've spoiled the whole movie, you it, the, that opening sequence has not been spoiled. There are so many details, and like, there's nothing we could have done to actually spoil that without you watching it for yourself, because it is just it's incredible. Yeah, it is definitely one of those movies where like describing it in a purely audio format just seems to do it a disservice because mm. it is really a beautiful mixture of audio and visual, um, the likes of which most Hollywood movies can only dream of. Yeah, and what Edgar Wright did with his budget of thirty four of thirty four million, and just mm. I, I, I'm blown away. 
It's yeah. almost like Deadpool, where they had a small budget and yet it became such a blockbuster movie, despite what they had to start with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like with Edgar Wright, apparently he gave up part of his director's fee so that he could keep the foot chase. Really? Yeah. So he like financed the foot chase with part of his own oh like the stuff that was going to go to him. Yeah. Yeah. He just believed in it that much. Yeah, and it worked out for him. It's like now he's going to go on to make many more movies, and hopefully they're all going to be good. Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, we'll like we'll draw this episode to an end. Thank you very much, Brett, for agreeing to give up a good chunk of your time um, to this endeavor. Um, I think it went very well. The pleasure's all mine, Tyler. I I really appreciate you bringing me on, and it just taught yeah. I know nothing about film, but being able to talk music and being able to talk about, about all these things, it was uh, it was really exciting, and it lights a fire under me for to actually write your uh, your intro theme song. I should probably get on that now, right? Yeah, well, it's like usually <laughs> I say all these thank yous and whatnot afterwards. I record them by myself, but since mm. you're here, I would say so ends episode five of the Arts Union Science podcast. A big thanks to Brett Kinrad for our impending theme song. I am sure it's be great. <laughs> our fabulous editor for going to have to edit around some of the weird tangents and shit that we pulled in the last half of this much like baby driver itself our third act went a little bit off the rails um if you would like to provide a review for our submission feel free to email us at the arts union science at gmail.com all one word with no caps you can tell us if you accept our findings, accept them with revisions, or outright reject them. We in academia are used to reflection as like rejection and won't take it personally. Uh, thanks for listening, and make sure to join us again in two weeks' time for another submission to the Arts Union Science Journal. Your session with the Arts Union Science Journal has expired. Please try again later.